this picture doesn't make you scream and squirm, you'd better see a psychiatrist. Quick, quick. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. I'm one of your hosts, Nathan Barbaugh, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host, Trey Whetstone. Trey, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Nathan. Ready to talk about some Christmas movies. Yeah, and we have Victor Rodriguez with us as well. Victor, how are you? Hey, yeah, doing well. Just uh, chilling, so to speak, in... uh cold Tacoma. It's the fog has rolled in. It's like the, that movie, The Mist. Can't see out my window 10 feet. Hopefully no giant bugs or whatever, you know, pterodactyls show up. Yeah, I'll let you know if they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had things show up at your window before when we were recording. Like, oh, hey, there's someone here. Let yeah. me go check it out. Um, yeah, so I, you have cold weather where you're at. Victor, I have like it yep. vacillates back and forth. We haven't got any snow yet. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, us either. It's uh, we're still waiting for the snow, but maybe this week. We had some nice. yesterday, but it melted today, so <laughs> that's the snow update here. And yeah, this is going to be our for the three of us. It's our first HMP Christmas episode, and I was trying to get in the Christmas mood earlier. I got this. I, I know I've told you guys I got this book for my kids, which is the scary book of Christmas lore. It's kind of awesome. It's got great like illustrations. It's done by Tim Rayborn, and it's all of these uh, Yuletide monsters from around the world. And so they have all these different sections. And, you know, I didn't realize it, but inside of this book, there's a whole section on winter werewolves. Because I never really, you know, connected werewolves to Christmas before. But apparently, if you're born, like, on Christmas Eve, your chances of being a werewolf are, like, 70% greater than other people. Whoa. Didn't didn't know that, but interesting. But in in that spirit, and in the spirit of the HMP Christmas episodes, we do have a special guest, a returning host of the show. We have Wolfman. Wolfman, how are you doing? Great. I'm a, your winter werewolf uh, guest. So I'm yeah, we'll have some. I'm sure we'll get some howls in there somewhere. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> I need Greg Mortis to do it for me. That's what I depend yeah, exactly. on. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I think Jim Beam behind that howl. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I made it back to Utah for Christmas and we, there's not snow in the Valley, but I went up to the mountains yesterday. We went on a, a two horse open sleigh ride through the mountains. It was pretty awesome. So yeah, that is very, very cool. And of course you, you've seen a decent amount of like winter weather, right? Like, well, yeah, I, I'm working a lot in Alaska, so, but I, I go back and forth between Alaska, DC and Hawaii. So it's a very, I have a very weird climate. Life. <laughs> existence. <laughs> yeah, existence. Very cool. We're so happy that you're here. Uh, I always enjoyed listening to the HMP Christmas episodes and see what new weird artifact you or Dave <laughs> would, would dig up. This was always my favorite of the year. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, this was, yeah, this is my baby on the show. We used to always, and <clears throat> even back as far as when Jay was on the show, we would talk a lot about 
you know, that tension between the most holy day of the year for 33% of the planet versus like, you know, these dark, dark things. And um, it's always been something that's fascinated me to discuss. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. We do have movies. We have a lot of uh, several of the new movies to talk about, and we've got various other things. But I did think it'd be a cool opportunity to take and talk a little bit, uh, particularly since, you know, the three of us haven't uh, discussed this before. But the, you know, that tension you were just talking about uh, with Christmas and our feelings about Christmas horror and kind of what, you know, uh, why we like it or why we appreciate it. For me, there is that weird dichotomy that you talked about, Wolfman, where it's like the, uh, on one hand, it's, you know, it's Merry Christmas and everything's wonderful and it's a time of togetherness and, and love and a good feeling and giving gifts and all that stuff is awesome if that's like the world you're surrounded by but like you know for a large percentage of people there are people who aren't you know that don't have some of those things and for them that the holiday is probably completely different the merry christmas ho 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 uh you know jolly happy god rest ye merry gentlemen movies that are they're about you know loving everybody and the magic and the warmth of christmas a lot of times some of these movies are maybe very hokey or very corny some of them can still be very well done i love miracle on 34th street the original film actually i don't mind the remake with uh, richard attenborough either and uh the countless scrooge stories and of course it's a wonderful life but there is the Bah Humbug Christmas movie, which is sort of that perspective for people that maybe don't don't think there's warm cuddles around every single corner of Christmas. And that's where I fall sometimes. But I one of the things I love is sort of the when you really get down to it, how old all the roots of the holiday really are. And if you follow those roots and you get back to a time when the even the celebration of the end of the year would have been pretty momentous. It would have been like, hey, we all got, or most of us got through again, you know. There's definitely a point in human history where it's not a given that I'm going to be, you know, that it's maybe less a given than usual that I will be here at the end of the year. You know, uh, people whose lives depend on the crop cycles, that depend on uh, whether an illness is coming through and things like that. And so as the winter, as the dark is approaching, the idea that, hey, we're like, we got through, we're halfway there, uh, that kind of resonates more with me. I think about that the holiday would really mean something to, to a celebration of, you know, we made it through. We In the midst of the darkness, here's some light, here's some levity. And I always yeah. appreciate uh, the things that we do care about, the warmth and love and togetherness, uh, when it's surrounded by the backdrop of what it can be, uh, what can happen, you know, uh, darkness and loneliness and despair and all these things that are real things. And so sometimes when a movie can balance those or address those, and that's where mm-hmm. you kind of get into some of those darker shadows that are sort of lurking. So there's always like two kinds of Christmas horror. There's like the horror movie that adds Christmas to make it kind of more fun and lighter. Mm-hmm. And then there's the movie that takes Christmas and makes it darker yeah, like the Bah Humbug movies, I think of them. They're the ones that kind of want to like find the rotten core to your <laughs> uh, Christmas candy apple or whatever. Yeah, and especially the ones that deal with like 
like kind of awkward, tense family struggles and drama that goes on around the holiday as well, because I feel like that's probably the most real horror most of us face around holiday time. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's that's very interesting. I I was thinking about this a lot too, because you know, and Jay used to always say that one of the his definitions of horror was the disturbance of peace, and so you have this holiday that's dedicated to the Prince of Peace, and it's supposed to be this most like warm and cozy family time and then and then it yeah it gets all it's all torn apart but you're right there there's also just the goofiness and there's a couple that we're going to talk about i guess they cover both of those styles of christmas horror that you brought up i love the historical christmas horror i would love to see more of that yeah stuff that's tied to like krampus for instance is tied to like the the early roots of the holiday you know, yeah, and I try, I realize, and you're right. Like this book I just mentioned is full of that kind of stuff, but we don't we don't have many of them. Do we? Do we have any of them? I'm trying to think of a host like that that is like a period piece that would be outside of the Christmas story, of course. I mean Christmas Carol, of right. course. But I um, feel like well, we there's a Red Riding Red Riding Hood is an attempt at it, maybe. But um, I'm not thinking about I'm not thinking necessarily of a period piece, although that would be awesome as well. <laughs> I was thinking more just um, like even the you know what's in the barn yeah the mythology the the folklore aspects of christmas yeah kind of like they tried the uh was it the uh, the danish film was it saint from from several years back around yeah the the dutch film yeah 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 you're right thank you and so it was around the same time that we had like rare exports which i love i think that movie is great um and things like that but i agree i'm always for more folklore horror i think we this is my own personal opinion i feel like we've burned the the evil santa candle just about to its wick in terms of just having <laughs> santa as a killer like yeah. I, i'm all for the, like the magical mystery santa to be kind of you know dark and stuff but i i feel like killer in a santa mask is just about or killer santa robot is just about used up for me <laughs> yeah couldn't agree with you more nathan i think <laughs> i think it's time to hang up the hat and boots, you know? Um, there was a really good one just a few years ago, though. It was a Scandinavian film. I'm forgetting what it was called. It was just a really, like, um, just a really low-key, independent slasher. I wish I could remember what that one was called. Did you guys see that one? Um, I'm trying to think back. I'm not sure if I did. It on the show, but it was, it was a good one. It was really good. But it was just a very... That wasn't bold. the one where Santa was cutting off somebody people's junk, was it? <laughs> that may have happened at some point. Well, Brian keeps telling me about one. I think it's all through the house or something where Santa's just cutting off. <laughs> you know, so he's got a, a literal bag of. Uh, it might have been. It may have been that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to do more research on that. Um, well, how about like? Do you guys have a? And you may you've probably mentioned this before, Wolfman in the show, but I don't know that we have like a, a top favorite Christmas horror movie. Like your go-to. Who wants to go? Oh, sorry. I can. I can go. Um. Oh, sorry. Were you throwing that to Wolfman, Nathan? Everybody. Okay. Sorry, I should have specified. (laughs) My bad. I didn't hear it right. But uh, I mean, one of mine that I usually go to a lot is one that I grew up with, and that's Gremlins. Of course, I feel like that's a classic one. Um, you know, there's 
a lot of other ones I feel like we can talk about, but uh, as far as go to, if I'm going to one, it's probably Gremlins. Yeah, that was the first one to put some real like Yuletide fear into me. I think mm-hmm. um, I the my distinct memory of Gremlins because I saw it like right as it hit like VHS and it, it and like Ghostbusters because they were released in theaters at the same time hit VHS at the same time. And I remember my family renting them and it was near the holiday and we watched them both back to back. And man, we watched Ghostbusters first and those Gozer dogs or whatever Mm. were creepy. But man, when you got to the gremlins, like I had never heard the song. Do you hear what I hear up until that point? I was probably in like kindergarten and it will be forever in my mind hearing i get is it bing crosby singing that song while a woman is bloodied and walking through her house with a knife getting ready to stab something (laughs) and that's sort of my distinct memory of that song and man i still think the darkest moment in almost any christmas movie was in phoebe cates tell zach galligan why she doesn't like christmas absolutely yeah yeah, it's definitely not in the Christmas spirit. <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> pretty upsetting. I mean, yeah, like it, the, the, for years I've showed my kids Gremlins, and I always, I, I don't skip the microwave stuff. I skip that scene. <laughs> <laughs> I well, think there's so many that are high quality that have made it into my Christmas movie rotation. So I don't know how you guys, if you do that as well, just have like the movies for each time of the year. But like, there's probably a good half dozen horror movies that have made it that I watch every year now. Gremlins is definitely on the list. Black Christmas. Yeah. Um, Krampus now is on the list. Better watch out. Um, Chris Peckover's film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and as of last year I did, I mean, I, and I also uh, watch rare, we watch rare exports every year rare and I've added Sports. violent night. I know it's not quite a Christmas horror movie, but yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I was yeah. curious what you guys thought about violent night. I don't remember. I don't think we ever covered it when I was on the show. And then also this year there was silent night that came out. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yes, I, I did see that night. What do you uh, feel about those two films? So silent night, are we talking the John Woo film? Yeah. Yeah. So well, let's talk about Violent Night first, because I think most of us here have seen it, and we can do yeah. a mini-review if everybody's cool with it. Sure. I mean, it is a, to me, it was exactly sort of what was marketed in terms of the trailer. I saw the trailer. Oh, it's a goofy movie with David Harbour as Santa Claus. It's essentially Die Hard, except instead of John McClane, Santa comes in and actually does this. And we've seen this kind of bit before, but I have to admit that I was pretty entertained by it. And it's, you know, it's from the director of Dead Snow. It has that kind of quality to it, mm-hmm. but it's got a little bit of heart to it. It's cheesy, almost Hallmark level heart mixed with the gore. I thought Harbor, though, really sold it as the Santa. I mean, more than any of the deaths, I think my favorite scene is him when he's gotten into this, this big, it's almost like a fortress, but this, this uh, rich family's house and he's mm-hmm. got their expensive booze and he's just like dipping Christmas cookies into it while sitting in that like mm-hmm. electric massage chair. And he's like, Ooh, this pair as well. <laughs> I think that might be my, my favorite moment. Yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun. I don't think I was expecting at first. I know people, I, Nathan, you probably told me after you saw it, how violent the movie was. Um, and I wasn't expecting that, but this was one where, um, I think I've told you guys before, but this was one where I hadn't seen yet. And I was at Christmas Eve last year 
And like my uncle and my dad were like talking back and forth about it and they never go to movies. So I'm like, you two both went to the theater and saw this before me. Um, <laughs> something's going on here. But I I think it it's just a really fun Christmas movie. And I think, um, you know, it's definitely maybe not most people's idea of a Christmas movie, but I thought it was so much fun. I like David Harbour a lot. Um, I liked the uh, the girl who was the lead in it as well. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, me too. I, I really enjoyed it. I actually didn't see it last year. I, uh, I, I saw it fairly recently, about two months ago. And, um, you know, a while ago, uh, Bill Van Vagel recommended I see another one of the, this director's movies uh, called The Trip. And uh, I really enjoyed that. And if you see The Trip, you pretty much know what you're going to get with Violent Night. Like it's, there's a lot of silly, really violent stuff, but it's played totally straight. My favorite part, I mean, I think you guys encapsulate a lot of the funny stuff about a lot of the, the really fun stuff about Violent Night. But my favorite scene is when uh, Santa has been wounded and he patches himself up with Christmas uh, <laughs> wrapping that was a brilliant touch because it's like, yeah, I guess that would work. <laughs> yeah. and, and John Leguizamo is pretty good in the movie, too. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think my, my favorite line, Christmas dies tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, he had a good year last year, I feel like. Oh, Leguizamo. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was pretty fun. I was a, I was a little... Bit disappointed in just I'm a big David Harbour fan from Stranger Things, so I wanted just a little bit more. I thought this was kind of comparable to Fat Man, I guess the Mel Gibson movie. Yeah, that one's me. weirder, but yeah, yeah, they're fun. They're, yeah, they're definitely fun. That one definitely kind of takes the grizzled Santa more seriously. This still has mm-hmm. sort of a comic book cheerfulness to it. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of want a whole movie just about his like backstory. <laughs> Right. With totally. Skull Crusher. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although, in reality, the the couple seconds we have in the film are really perfect. Like, you don't, in context of this story, you don't need any more. It's just enough to sort of whet your appetite. It it felt like the panels of a graphic novel, kind of. I thought. Right. Yeah, it doesn't um, derail the narrative. Yeah. And I kind of did enjoy the scene where the dysfunctional family is bonding over beating a man to death at one point. <laughs> common enemy <laughs> yeah yeah so i i got a kick out of set of, of violent night and when i saw it wolfman like you i was a little disappointed because i kind of wanted it to just go further especially with having harbor in there i kind of wanted it to be you know yeah. silly but also a little more dramatic and you know but as i've rewatched it we rewatched right. it on thanksgiving actually and uh I had a great time with it. And I think it is one that over time I can see this be, being like Krampus where it becomes sort of a, a one of the, the stable of Christmas movies for me. Um, mm, yeah. Silent night, sadly for me anyway, was a, was a, was a very different uh, ball game. Have you seen that one Wolfman? Did you no, see it? I was, I was thinking about it, but I, I didn't yeah, I, I went to see it the first weekend it came out, which I think was the same weekend that uh, Godzilla minus one first hit theaters, but we had seen that one already. I went with a buddy. I went in. I went to see it mostly, I think, because it was John Woo. And John Woo hasn't released the stateside a movie in quite a while. I think, uh, has it been since Payback? I feel like that might be right. I know he did Red Cliff, but that was sort of overseas, you know. 
and that was like a Chinese film. But that was a long time ago too. Yeah, even like, that was like 2009 or 2010, yeah, somewhere yeah. around there. Uh, so it's been quite a while, and he's back in the action genre. He's doing a movie that to me looks like you know it. They're advertising it as a Christmas movie. It's got Joel Kinnaman. I'm not like the biggest fan, but I enjoyed him. I enjoyed him more on like the killing than I did in, you know, mm. some of the movies I've seen, but I, you know, I think he's a decent actor. Yes. So went into it, but I gotta say was really disappointed by it. The basic premise is you've got uh Kinnaman is this guy who on Christmas day, his child is shot and killed. That's happens right up front in a drive by shooting, a gang related drive by shooting. And he, in that moment, chases the the people down who did it and is himself wounded, shot in the throat, really, and uh, no longer has the use of his voice. And the movie is chronicling everything that was fallout from that event. And it's not it's not done 100% linear. It kind of goes forward and jumps back with flashbacks. But you see him and his marriage uh, dissolving under the weight of the grief and his preoccupation with figuring out who these specific people are were he's seen them he just needs to put them in context figure out who they are and then he's going to go and kill them so it's your kind of basic death wish style plot uh the gimmick of the film is that there's really no spoken dialogue in the entire movie except for little bits that you hear like over a uh radio or you know the police dispatch or something like that you'll hear lines of dialogue there but the characters themselves don't really speak to each other and I'll be honest, that element of the film is pretty well done. And the opening passages of the movie are interesting. Wu has a, you know, he has an over-the-top style, but it's a very distinctive style. And it's a it can be a cool style when it's deployed correctly. But for me, this was almost like the flip side of a Hallmark movie, where you've got very basic beats, and they want to mm. hit all your emotional buttons and give you this very simple saccharine experience and then you're back on the you know you're, you're back out at the end and you've had your your christmas fun this is the opposite where they want to make you feel as bad as possible yeah. and they want to just kind of hammer you with this the death of the kid and the effect it has and some of the scenes are just so amazingly sort of hokey and melodramatic that it kind of uh, that it took me aback and at the same time kinnaman is trying to make this as realistic as possible and without the dialogue and without him being a very expressive physical actor where you'd almost want a Nick Cage or somebody, I, I realize I'm probably channeling face off now, but if you, you want someone there who can be so expressive that it doesn't matter that we can't hear them speak or that they're not speaking. And that makes the movie a bit of a slog. And it does feel like it was made in like 1995, like the gang lord is his whole world is crumbling and this and Kinnaman is just taking these people out one by one. This guy goes into a giant ballroom and just dances under like disco balls with his like his drug mule girlfriend. <laughs> like it's just weird stuff mm. like that. Waiting, waiting for Kinnaman just to walk in and have a big showdown with him. Mm. And there's a scene of a of a parent taking a setting up a Christmas present around a tombstone. There's just a lot of uh, it's both over the top and muddied at the same time, and it kind of becomes oh. boring. I was shocked at how little fun I had, even when scenes were working for me. And as a parent, of course, that plot about, uh, you know, you've lost a child, like that resonates. But the way it's handled in the film feels very schlocky, but not B-movie fun schlocky, like 
we're trying really, really too hard and not hard enough at the same time. Mm-hmm. So m- unfortunately, it was a big disappointment for me. I I can see someone turning it on streaming, like on a like when it's on Netflix or something, and maybe you know enjoying some of the action scenes. But I cannot recommend anyone go see this at the theater. I it was very disappointing, especially coming from John Woo. Can I ask you one question? Um, John Woo obviously would be the biggest draw for a lot of people, but it was advertised as from the producers of John Wick. And I wondered, what do you think the John Wick audience would appreciate? I think the John, and that's actually kind of the problem is it clearly wants to be John Wick, but there, Mm -hmm. I was mentioning an actor who can be expressive without a lot of dialogue. And it's funny because he's usually accused of being inexpressive when he tries to be a dramatic actor, but Keanu Reeves handles that really well. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think the problem, I think I, said when I was talking about this movie before that this movie only makes John Wick look more brilliant <laughs> because yeah, they were <laughs> aiming for that, but that's part of the problem. It's already been done four times. Great in John Wick. And when you watch this, it just feels like you're watching the wish version of John Wick and mm. the Christmas issue. Cause I, one of the things I always appreciate when you do these episodes, Wolfman, you would always sort of give like the Christmas rating, you know, what's the Christmas yeah. level. They so it's set in California, which is fine, but there's really no Christmas vibe or feeling at all. And yes, they might play a Christmas song here, and there's an understanding that the date is coming up again, but it doesn't have that vibe at all. And it, I think that at least would have been something to juxtapose him on this quest, as we've been talking about the dichotomy between the happy, uh, superficial face of Christmas and this man's inner pain. They didn't do anything with that at all. Mm. Really interesting. Unless unless you really want to see an action movie, and in that case, wait till you can see it for free. But I would say skip it. Interesting. Yeah, sounds like a shame. Yeah, which is no fun. I'm not having any fun disliking <laughs> Christmas movies. I, well, there are I a lot of like fun them. ones out there. You yeah, know, like we were, we were mentioning, there's there's still yeah. a lot of I think new classics, especially compared to when we were younger. Like I won't speak for you guys, but I know we're all different slightly different sub generations. But like when I was growing up, like Jack Frost was like, maybe like the most prominent, like Christmas horror movie or something like that. Or like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, in the nineties. And then you had the other like Jack Frost with Michael Keaton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Which was actually more terrifying looking than the one. That's... You know yeah. That would be a great. Match. <laughs> I, I, I recently read Roger Ebert's review of that again. Cause some, one of the podcasts, I think it was real talk was talking about Jack Frost and his quote was, it's the most loathsome, <laughs> special effects creature in the history of special effects. And yes, I'm counting Chucky in the desert intestine from star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, and it's this kid's dad. <laughs> so yeah, silent night, unfortunately. Now there are like several in, in including the obvious franchise. There's several movies called silent night. And there was a pretty good yeah. one from a few years back with Matthew good and Kira Knightley, I think. Um, oh yeah that was like more of an end of the world kind of story but i liked it i thought it was pretty good i forgot about that one yeah, yeah it's it, very low-key definitely understated but and it was it was also one i think a lot of people skipped because it was coming at the tail end of covid and nobody wanted to think about that kind the of, of the thing world. anymore yeah. yes exactly right like any, any of the apocalypse i think is a fun end of the world christmas movie as well yeah yeah that's yeah. one i went to see it because you guys actually reviewed it on hmp and Whatever was going on that night, I could not get into it. I saw it at the theater, but well, I'm like, musicals are you know, 
I don't know. Well, I love musicals, and that was the mm. kind of weird thing. I think I was just really tired, and I saw it, and I'm like, I've got to be wrong about this. So I, when it when it was out to stream, I got it, and my wife and I watched it on Christmas Eve, and it was like a totally different experience. I'm like, I'm oh. so glad I went back to watch this again. I just picked yeah. that up from the Dollar Tree for like a buck. Well, a buck and a quarter now. <laughs> yeah, buck but, and a quarter. Um, it's worth a lot more than that. No, it's a good one. I like that a lot. I was, in fact, I was just trying to run through my head how much innuendo was in it and whether I could show my kids because <laughs> I couldn't quite remember. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember either, but I do remember liking that one quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I agree. There's been a lot of within, you know, a lot of the go to's for me now are go to movies that I only saw in the past 10 years, you know. Right. So they definitely uh, we are getting an oversaturation of them, but there there are some good ones out there. Uh, any movie, any movies you guys just wanted to to mention? I guess it, it's not my all time favorite, but one that I do love, and I know it's people have different views on it. Is is uh, Christmas Evil? You better watch out. I love it, but I understand why everyone hates it. Oh, me too. I totally understand why everyone hates it. I saw it for the first time several years back. I we were up at my. Uh, my in-laws house and they're like my mother-in-law is big time like hallmark person and my father-in-law just likes to like you know mess with her so he's like let's watch better watch out i think it's like a hallmark movie <laughs> and we knew nothing about it but i looked at it and I'm like uh yeah let's watch this one <laughs> let's see what happens the best one brandon maggard is in that uh movie as this guy who's so He's he's fixated on Christmas for a really weird reason. I have a hard time imagining <laughs> that seeing what he sees would do that to a person, but whatever. And now he kind of wants to be Santa, so I'm sure Freud would have some things to say. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of uh, Blood Rage as to Thanksgiving as Christmas mm-hmm. Evil is. Vinegar Syndrome released a uh, Blu-ray of this like a couple of years back. And on that Blu-ray, they have an amazing commentary where John Waters joins the director <laughs> to talk about this movie. And he's, he basically refers to it as like the taxi driver of killer Santa. Movies. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, wow. I need that now. Which is, and it's great. <laughs> it's funny too, because on the same disc, Brandon Maggard is on with the director talking about it. And he's, he's like adorably crusty about it because he's like, you remember when you made me? You made me do this. Why'd you make me do this? I look like a pervert. <laughs> and, he's like, and he keeps shushing the director. And at one point, he's like, "Shh, be quiet. This is a good scene." And like, at one point, he says, "The people at home don't want to hear you talk." And the director has to stop him and explain what a commentary is. It's <laughs> awesome. It's amazing. So yeah, Christmas Evil. It's worth seeing. Is a the ending is one of my favorite endings huh. in a Christmas horror movie. <laughs> I think the children is worth seeing at least once. Oh yeah, the children. That's two thousand eight, I think, right? So we're around yes. there. Yeah. And then Dead End right around that time would also be worth seeing at least once. And that was two thousand that was even earlier. That was early aughts, right? Yeah. Um Wolfman, did you guys I can't remember if you reviewed on the show the advent calendar um from a couple years back. I don't I can't remember. I think we did discuss it actually. Yeah. I remember really liking that one. Yeah, that was um, good. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that. that yet. I need to see it. Elves was probably my favorite review we ever did on the show. <laughs> yes, yeah. I was searching for something at that level, but I couldn't to talk about. I couldn't find anything quite as nuts as elves. <laughs> the lodge is one I can't really recommend, but it is a higher quality. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I actually kind of hate it, but <laughs> it that's another feel bad Christmas person. movie. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, one that I like dealing more with, like the the family unit and all this stuff around Christmas is host um, Mm. with plural from 2020. 
Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty decent. Um, not in my upper tier, but I did like that one. Uh, the Day of the Beast is a go-to for me. I love that one, even mm-hmm. though maybe maybe it's not the quintessential Christmas horror movie, but it is a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that one. Yep. I also just love like snowy Christmas, like snowy movies. Um, yeah. Fro- Frozen is one I watch a lot around this time of the year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like that one. Misery. Let it go. Oh, no, not the other Frozen. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Don't let it go, because if you fall, you're going to land with the wolves. But, <laughs> Uh, I do like that movie a lot, the, the Adam Green movie. That's a good one. Um, uh, there was a good, I remember there was that anthology a few years back. Um, all the creatures were stirring. And I remember there being a really good one that involved, um, I think it was a van in a parking lot. I'm sure yes. yeah. Back yeah. Now, yeah. But I really liked that segment in that one. So yeah. I was talking with someone the other day. The, the, the Christmas anthologies do tend to be a bit of a crapshoot. Uh, I feel like, yeah. but in that, that one particularly, is that the one that features us like a segment where Rudolph is just killing people? Like, and there's like I, a Rudolph that sounds about right. Yeah. The I don't remember that attacking one. People. There's a Christmas party episode. There's a, I remember that like a secret Santa kind of deal. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's the one with um, Jocelyn, Jocelyn Donahue. Donahue. Yep. <laughs> We're on the same page there, Nathan, but that van <laughs> part you're talking about is really creepy. If I, re- if I'm, yeah, correctly. yeah, I like, like that. It's got one a lot. cool mythology. It's that weird feeling like when you walk out and like there's nobody in the parking lot, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, I haven't seen that one yet, but I did see this morning. I did see P2 uh, from a few years ago. Oh, I still haven't yeah. seen that one. That is more oh. of a Christmas movie than I remembered. Totally. Uh, yeah, that's a good one, actually. That's I love good. it. Yeah, yeah the fir- first half is a little bit exactly what you would expect, but then it kind of kicks into high gear, and uh, it's it's memorable. <laughs> so, yeah. That's one of the ones in the history of this show where I really ate crow. I felt like I was really wanted to hate that movie, and I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. <laughs> well, it does look so generic. I remember... Like yeah. renting it, I think from Redbox and being like, "Let's see if we make it." If I, this would probably be about fifty cents of my dollars worth, but right. and it turned out to be really good. I mean, for what it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's that Dead End movie that we just talked about from 2003, but then there was an uh, American remake a couple of years later. I'm trying to think of what that one was called. Um, oh, was there? Yeah, it was. It was okay. I can't remember what it was called though. Shoot, but it had a couple of names in it. Dang it. Was it Windchill? Windchill, yes. Thank you. Mm. Oh, Windchill. I actually Windchill. I liked more than Dead End. Um, mm, surprisingly, yeah. but I think it part of that was that I had not really seen Emily Blunt in much of anything at that point, mm-hmm. and I think her performance in that is really good. And I love ghost stories, so mm-hmm. I do agree that. Well, I don't, no one has quite said that, but I mean, I think that it doesn't quite cohere in terms of the ghost stories but i think Mm. it's what's there is pretty cool yeah it's a fun one definitely worth a watch i think did you i believe somewhere along the history of hmp you guys reviewed a movie called mercy christmas oh yeah if it's like it's like a really terrible amazon like it kind of looks that way there's this guy his boss invites him to christmas dinner and it, his name is like Michael Brisket, which should be the obvious giveaway that they're going to eat it. <laughs> I remember that now, yeah. But it, it actually turns, it actually becomes kind of crazy. Like it's almost like 
low budget Peter Jackson by the end, like what's going on. Like it just spirals into madness. And I remember so funny. Yeah. Watching it. I think based on it was because you guys talked about HMP and I was like, Oh, I don't think I'm going to make it through this. And then suddenly it was like the switch flip. Cause the, I think you watch <laughs> the family having their normal quarrels. Then they're walking into the room to trim another piece of meat off of the human. They're keeping in like a cage on the floor. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, we want to talk about going way back. Um, Curse of the Cat People is set around Christmas time, I believe. It is. There you go. Um, yeah. Don't know how people feel about that one as a crit or a horror movie necessarily, but it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I, I like love it. it. It's got creepy yeah. moments. I mean, yeah, totally. It it does. Um, and then you know they're not a hundred percent Christmas, but you know with uh. Britain having that tradition of of ghost stories at Christmas and the BBC doing their ghost stories for Christmas, like a, like they would do specials and it would always be like a 45-minute segment. I don't know if you guys have seen any of those. A lot of them were based off of like M.R. James short stories or even Charles Dickens. I know there's one mm-hmm. that they did at the Signal Man. Those are, they're done in the 70s, but they're still super creepy. Like totally. if ghost stories are your thing, I highly recommend that. And I think it's hard to get a, a copy that's not like a region two, but if you have BritBox uh, or get a like a subscription to BritBox through Amazon, they have all of the ghost stories for Christmas on there. Wow. Yeah, I, I seem to. I was doing a uh, either an essay or or another podcast about James, and I tracked down that whistle and I'll come to you, my lad, version that BBC version of that. And uh, it's pretty good. Like it's it's pretty creepy, and uh, I understand why people still talk about it. And I think I found it on YouTube. So yeah, and it's yeah the way the ghost is visualized in that short is like one of the creepiest things I've ever seen in terms of and and yet low rent. Like they clearly they're not doing any fancy special effects, but man, does it bother me when I look at it? Yeah, in a good way, in a creepy way. Um, yeah, they did a version of Lost Hearts too that was weird. That um, Scandinavian slasher I was talking about earlier is called Christmas Blood or Blut originally. Oh, um, that is a different movie. I don't think I've seen that one. It's uh, not amazing, but it's just if you like just a really down to earth, not some bold slasher, it's pretty, it's, it's definitely worth a watch in that sense. So before we get started on the new ones, um, Wolfen, let me ask you. What were your, if you saw it? What were your thoughts on uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas by Joe Begos? Oh my gosh, I can't even remember that. Right, it was only last year, but I know what you mean. <laughs> it seems like forever ago. Yeah, I, feel like, I can't even think of what was what happens, and I have to look it up. Santa Santa's a robot and kills people. That's oh, that, that one. Yeah, one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't love it. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I I didn't either, but. <laughs> I've I've gone back and forth on this, but I tell people like I really I disliked it quite a bit. Like I didn't like it at all in terms of the characters, the story. I thought it was cool that they um that they got the actor they did. I, his name escapes me right now, but the guy from Parker Lewis, <laughs> they got him to play the yeah. uh, Abraham Ben Ruby. They got him to be the Santa. That was cool. Oh, yeah. awesome. I liked how he was just like the Terminator, but he the one area i thought that the movie like knocked it out of the park was the christmas vibe even though it was a gritty kind of scuzzy oh, christmas yeah. vibe 
That yeah. movie looks great. Like if you just turn the sound off and like just stare at it, <laughs> it's like looking down a wet Baltimore street with Christmas lights. Yes, but still on everywhere. Yeah, it feels like Christmas. I just saw so many movies this year that were set at Christmas, but like that factored barely into the film at all. So you know what the uh, the Christmas movie with probably the most Christmas atmosphere I saw this year was the one I like the least. So. Um, I think the same with Christmas Bloody Christmas is it's got great Christmas atmosphere, terrible characters and writing, mm-hmm. um, just very standard slasher, I felt like. But yeah. but it does have as people who do love it. I, I'm not one yeah. of them, but yeah. um, I got to give a shout for Brian Scott. He loves Christmas uh, Bloody Christmas, and he's encouraged me to take a second crack at it. So I is there any Christmas horror movie that Brian Scott doesn't enjoy? It's in his heart. Christmas is in his heart. He, That's he's, his thing. Yeah, he doesn't want to dislike any of them. I don't want to dislike any of them either. But um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and start, and I think we can start with probably the one that was released first this year which was uh it's a wonderful knife anybody want to set that one up uh jump into it i can set it up so it's a wonderful knife as you would uh, kind of gather from the title it is a play on it's a wonderful life and is supposed to kind of follow that type of um i don't know if i want to say spoof but it's kind of in that same vein and we have our main character who really, uh, you know, gets chased down by this killer called the angel on, um, I can't remember if it was Christmas or Christmas Eve, probably Christmas Eve. Um, but anyway, it manages to elude that. And then, you know, stuff happens. She (laughs) realizes that maybe, you know, people would be better off without her just kind of like it's a wonderful life. And that's when we get this alternate reality starting to sink in. I don't really want to get into two more, too many more story details, but that's our basic setup. And what happens from there is, you know, trying to figure out in these types of movies like you do with Groundhog Day, um, Happy Death Day, any of those kinds of films, trying to figure out the secret to really getting yourself back to normal. So um, do we want to go around and give kind of our broad thoughts on this one? I know this one's streaming on Shutter now, so Hopefully people have had some time to see it, but um, Wolfman, what were your high level thoughts on it's a wonderful knife? Uh, not good. Um, <laughs> I was really, really critical of this movie. Um, it's on theaters and I went in pretty enthusiastically, mostly just based on the cast. Um, it's, it's part of, and you've, you've mentioned happy death day. You know, it's what I'm calling the, Happy Death Deification of Horror because I feel like <laughs> they're basically taking all of these. And so we did this with the game movies, game JME movies, um, about half a decade ago, where everything was like truth or dare, kind of, you know, they were like taking all these like really obvious games and, and applying a horror conceit. Right, seven to minutes it. in heaven. It got, it got out yes. of hand. <laughs> oh, I forgot and, about that one. <laughs> <laughs> and now they're doing it with these, right? So it's it's they're taking Groundhog Day, Freaky Friday, Back to the Future, It's a Wonderful Life. These are like these should be a really easy recipe for a hit film. It seems even more craven when you just list them out like that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Right. And it's like it seems like like Freaky, I would say, is probably the best of that bunch for me. Or I, I liked Totally Killer, okay. Like I thought yeah. it was fine. But 
I feel like this is a huge swing and a miss. Like this is a, a like it's right there. Like they give you the formula to make a classic film. It should be so easy to just add horror to that. And, and what I can't figure out is there's murders in this movie, and yet somehow the stakes feel so much lower than it's a wonderful life. Like, how is that possible? Yep. <laughs> you know, um, I do like the way the angel looks. I think that's cool. Um, uh, but yeah, it's for me, that's high level. Those, that's the thing I hate about it the most is just like, I hate how cheap and easy this cookie cutter approach to filmmaking is and how they're really not knocking it out of the park very often, you know? Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, Victor, what about you? Yeah, I, I agree with Wolfman on this. I I also, I, I actually drove quite far to find a theater that was showing it when it was in release and uh, put down some hard-earned money, sat down with the other 10 people that were there. And, you know, <laughs> normally... I am a huge advocate of trying to see movies in the theater because I love the theatrical experience, you know, usually. Um, but for this one, I, I really would have been much better off seeing it on streaming because it, I, my expectations would have been much lower. And I think that's the problem. And I would say specifically, there is a lot of stuff that, that's very enjoyable. Production design, I thought was really good. The way it's lit. The, the way the small town looks like an ideal Christmas town, like that's all really cool. But mm. I mean, step one is having a solid script. And mm. I, I, I think the movie fails hardest in mm. the writing. Um, there's a, there's a mm. reality shift uh, without giving any too much away, a little ways into the movie. And about 70% of the movie is that reality shift. And the big problem is, nothing makes sense. Like the characters mm. don't do what the characters would do in that fake reality. And, mm. and even though, you know, it's fake, it's like the writers go, Oh, well, it's a fake reality. It doesn't really matter if the character's actions make sense or not. Yeah, it does because you still need to be invested in the movie. And that's when they lost me. They lost me like 30% into the movie and I never came back. So yeah. Uh, didn't like it. I agree with you that the writing's terrible, but let's not discount the terrible directing as well. <laughs> <laughs> Very, the very, uh, ama- like, I don't know, not amateurish. That's probably not accurate. It's the very, like, pedestrian. It, uh, feels, it looks like it a feels TV feels borderline. Movie. It feels borderline amateurish. The blocking is so bad. Yeah, well, what I mean by amateur, it's, it, but it doesn't necessarily look like a, a, a movie made by someone who hasn't made movies before. It looks like somebody who makes movies for Hallmark and only needs to make them this good. The, like, yeah, the lighting is, the, I don't know if it's yeah. the lighting or the color correction, or but it just looks so flat and terrible. And like, yeah, like even the supposed warm scenes, like when they're talking to William B. Davis in the beginning, I remember thinking, why does it look so blown out? And they're just next to a fireplace. (laughs) This is a personal pet peeve, but just because I was in Park City yesterday, Mm -hmm. I hate that the aerial shots are Park City, Utah, and it looks all beautiful. And then it cuts to these like ugly (laughs) streets again. But it's like, (laughs) but they don't, to me, they don't match. Like, just because I'm so used to, like, Park City is such a pretty town. Like, I don't know. but it was Buggy. it was nice to see Catherine Isabel and William B. Davis again. But they yeah, didn't, but they didn't do much. Didn't do anything. No, and no. It, and like even Joel McHale's just doesn't really 
have much to do for most of the movie, you know. Right, no. and Justin Long's stick is not very it's in- awful. interesting. It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's the wrong tone. He's like he's in, a, he's in a totally different movie. Like yeah, he, he definitely he's is. in a movie I thought I was going to, like this kind of comedy horror, but this isn't as someone else has pointed out, it's not really much of a I know it's intended to be, but it's not much of a comedy because they don't try for any real laughs. It's lighthearted, I suppose, or light, but it doesn't really come together on that front yeah it I, the script was for for sure the biggest problem i had but in it and uh i've talked about this with trey and victor it's some of the stuff would be so and and you pointed out wolfman some of it would be so easy to fix because it's all there and i mm-hmm. actually enjoyed the performance by the lead by jane woodrup and her relationship yeah. she has with a with this other the only other person who comes to accept that she is in another reality mm-hmm. I liked the concept of that relationship or where it was starting to go in their chemistry together, but the movie like loses all sight of it. And I guess Mm. it's kind of minor spoilers to say there's a revelation about that character that would be perfect to make this really like it's a wonderful life, but this isn't Mm -hmm. the horror version of it's a wonderful life. This is the horror version of the 2000 Hallmark movies based off of It's a Wonderful Life. (laughs) Because It's a Wonderful Life is about a man who lived his life as well as he could for other people, and he made conscious efforts to do that his entire life long. And so when he thinks he doesn't matter anymore, the universe is showing him that you made a great deal of difference by by purposefully making the choices you made. She incidentally kills one person, and that's Mm. the big thing that makes a difference. So there's no, but this idea that one person, one bit of kindness towards a person who's on the brink, they lay that out and they just throw it away like it's the cheapest thing ever. And they make a cheap laugh out of it as the movie ends. And I was astonished by that. The movie brings in extra supernatural elements at the end that, that, that show that there's some sort of mind control. That made no sense to me whatsoever. No sense. It's like, is this a space alien movie all of a sudden? Like, what is going Victor on? Victor and I were like, an easy way to solve that? Tie everything to the knife. It's in the title. Why can't it be mm-hmm. a magical artifact? Like, it, the solutions yeah. are so simple that it makes you more agitated mm-hmm. watching this movie that all the pieces are sitting there and it's like just freaky. like, yes. have the, have yeah. The, yeah. When it didn't even have to go there, they, I feel like the entire last, maybe third or at least quarter of this movie is just a mess. And oh, they didn't rough. even have to go that, um, no, that out there. They could have done something very simple. It could have been something, you know, you want to tie the characters back in. You want to fit that relationship in and make that work, you know, yeah. tie the ending into that somehow. That's not yeah. just a joke or a laugh, like you said. And we, we just definitely didn't need that scene with uh, well, Justin Long and the townspeople. It's making it worse. Justin Long, in my opinion, makes the movie a lot worse. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I normally like him, but everything about that was off. Yeah. And I really like Tragedy Girls, the director's. Like, I did. Yes. That's I do too. Yeah. Like as like a first feature, I thought this, he, this was a director that's going places. Like this is going to be a, someone to watch. And this to me was a big step down from Tragedy Girls. Yeah. I almost I, felt I like I'd learned that he got fired five days into filming and, you know. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I don't know that. Don't oh. think that happened. No, <laughs> no one's, no one throw that. I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if we found out he was fired five days into, you know, that would happen a lot back in the day. And then you get this movie that's completely bland and you're like, why is so-and-so's name on this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like John McTiernan made this movie. No, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah but he, it, oh, go ahead. 
No, please go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think, Nathan, you hit the high points for me, which were our two kind of leads. And I did like Catherine Isabel when she was on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do like the look of the angel. But um, honestly, I've come I've been thinking about this since we had uh, talked about this the other day, and I've kind of come down on a little bit because honestly, there's a lot of stuff wrong with it. Um, I still enjoyed aspects of it, but I just feel like. I don't know where they went wrong with this, but I was into it for the first maybe third of the movie. I was really into it. And then I just kind of started to my interest kind of waned as the film went on. And that shouldn't be happening like that. Yeah. Catherine Isabel is like every time I would see her or Joel McHale or somebody on screen, I'd be like, Oh, okay. This is about to like get a little bit better. And it just didn't. And I, particularly Joel McHale felt like he was, phoning it in from like there. another yeah. state yeah yeah <laughs> like it wasn't even in canada with everybody else but um yeah it's the danger of making one of these movies like you're talking about where they all feel of the same kind of piece and you can either do it really well like a final girls which is a little bit different than all the movies we mentioned but it has mm-hmm. the same audience i would say and mm-hmm. that movie managed to be silly and pg-13 and still have some heart to it. It was emotional. It was still scary. It was it was actually funny instead of just, just like uncomfortable. Yeah, and it, yeah, and so I think when you see a movie like this, it what feels like it was fat. It was done fast. It was done cheap, and it was done to get it out there in time for the holiday. And it just didn't for me. It it really didn't work at all. Ratings on this one, guys. I think the time travel or alternate reality elements were maybe my favorite part about it. I think the background CGI, they did a good job with like, <laughs> but like that's, if that's what I'm focusing on to me, that's just like a huge miss. I'm not, I'm not caring about the characters or the plot or anything else that's happening. Um, I give this one a one out of 10. And for me, this is an avoid having said that we're all horror fans. We watch crappy movies all the time. So like I, I would stream this again, maybe just to see like, what was, what was going on there? You yeah. Know, I would, so I would I wouldn't tell someone to not stream it if they had a free stream, but I definitely you know be glad you missed it in the theater. Yeah, I would say stream it um, and don't give a second thought to also checking your social media on your phone while you're watching it. But <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are, and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like like Wolfman just said, if it's part of your streaming service package already, uh, try it. You know, try the first 35 minutes. If you don't like it after the first 35 minutes, you should probably watch something else because that's it's it's not going to get better. Mm. But um, yeah. I, I gave it a six out of 10. Yeah, and I'm I'm coming down right there with you now, Victor. I am to a six out of 10. I do like that opening. I think that opening is pretty solid. Uh, but where they go from there is just a bunch of missed opportunities and kind of ruins decent performances from the leads in this and the cool uh, killer angle. So, yeah, I would say go ahead and stream this one on Shutter if you've already got Shutter, um, but don't go out of your way to to see it. Yeah, I'd say the same. I had a lot of pieces I really liked, but I felt like I was picking those pieces out of the trash and that made me feel shameful. So five out of ten. <laughs> Cool. So yeah, that's it's a wonderful knife, and it is streaming 
on Shutter right now with a subscription. So if you do have a Shutter subscription, you can essentially watch it for free. Uh, Shutter has a lot of other uh, worthwhile Christmas movies on the Christmas horror films on there as well. Uh, so let's move on to another film, another Christmas horror film that is not, as far as I know, streaming for free on any services, but you can rent it. And that's it. Uh, excuse me. And that's There's Something in the Barn. And this is one of those movies, like uh, Wolfman, you mentioned earlier, the idea of the folkloric, uh, the more ancient kind of Christmas traditions that maybe we don't, we do, or maybe we don't know that much about, particularly I think here in the States. Krampus, now everybody knows about Krampus, but like 15 years ago, you know, you looked like the weird kid when you brought up Krampus. <laughs> I know, I know from experience, but... Um, it's fun, I think, and, and I, I've been learning that with my family reading this little book. We treat it almost like an advent calendar to go through and read of a couple of the creatures. It's just really cool to sort of like experience that and, and, and then marvel at the fact that there are children out there that think <laughs> that hear these stories every single year. And there's, so there's something in the barn definitely plays off of that, uh, that element. And we've had a lot of that in the in previous years going into it, I think I was expecting something similar to the tone of rare exports, but I'd say that's not the case, but we can get that in, get to that in a minute. It is a 2023 film. It's the director is Magnus Martins and the basic uh, IMDB plot log line is an American family fulfills their dream of moving back after inheriting a remote cabin in the mountains of Norway. That's essentially true. What they want to do when they get that cabin and the barn that's next to it is to turn the barn into like a bed and breakfast. And the family here, the American family, that's kind of a fun cast because you have Martin Starr that I think a lot of us maybe recognize from all the way back to Freaks and Geeks. Uh, mm. He's also, yeah. uh, he's been in a lot of stuff. He's kind of instantly recognizable. His character here, I'll, I'll let Victor share an observation he made that I didn't notice, but his character here is very reminiscent of Freaks and Geeks. Uh, Amrita Acharya is playing his wife, and then Kieran Shaw is their daughter, and then they they have a young son as well. And they move into the the community, and after a a kind of freak moose encounter, <laughs> they, they move in. The barn is definitely a fixer upper. The whole I love the wintry feel of everything. There's a very cheerful, almost sitcommy kind of energy in the beginning as they move in. They they meet the sheriff, and she's very deadpan with them and there's an ongoing joke about how nobody in Norway including the police own a gun <laughs> and uh, uh, and all that's pretty pretty funny and, and cheerful and you have the the teen angst with the young daughter and the stepmom who just wants to gain her approval again these are all sort of hallmark log line elements and then you have the fact that there is indeed something living inside of the barn and they're pretty much up front uh, after this one little trip to the museum that uh, what's in the barn are these, uh, I th think in Norway they're called Nisi, they're called uh, like uh, Tom Tays over if you're Sweden. So depending, they're barn elves. They're little Ooh. sprites, uh, sort of mythical woodland creatures that will inhabit human spaces. And they can live in peace with humans as long as you treat them well and whatever you do, don't feed them like, you know, uh, canned fish. But these <laughs> these creatures will live in harmony, but you have to respect their territory. And of course, 
Uh, we start almost getting gremlin-esque rules being violated. Uh, they don't like bright lights. They don't like garish things. They don't like a mockery of the holidays. <laughs> and these this family just goes like, you know, checking boxes off <laughs> as they go. And the young boy has befriended one of them in a very kind of almost Amblin-esque sort of plot turn. Uh, he and the barn elf are communicating and 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 if you feed them, they do great things for you. And the family doesn't really ever pick up on this. And then we see eventually the more barn elves show up and there is a revolt of the barn elves who seem intent on clearing this family and the people surrounding them out of the area and out of their barn and out of their lives. And that's the basic premise. Mm. I'll go ahead and like, let everyone go around and talk about it. Um, Wolfman, how about you? How did you feel about this one? I really liked it a lot. It's not great, but I just enjoyed myself so much watching it. It starts out with a prior evil, I guess, uh, cold open scene. So we know the kind of damage the barn elves can inflict. Um, so that keeps us on our toes throughout the kind of more disnified. Uh, <laughs> right. Know, we know something's for, coming. <laughs> first 45 minutes. Yeah. And it's, you know, that'd be, I guess my biggest complaint with the film would be that it's either a little bit too light for a horror audience or a little bit too hard to show my kids. Like yep. it's like right in that middle ground. It's like, just go a little bit harder or a little bit lighter. Yeah, <laughs> you that's know? A fair point. Yeah. So that's my, that was my frustration with it. Cause the whole time I was like, yeah, I'll show them my kids, but like, you know, there's a ton of language and like the random like violence that's in there. It's just like, it's, it just seems inconsistent, I guess. Cause it's like PG horror, PG horror, R, PG horror, PG horror, R, you know what I mean? Like, it's right. just kind of like, huh? but, um, but I love the setting. I love the town. This is somewhere to me between a Krampus and a rare exports where it's like, I thought it was going to be a foreign film and that on, I love foreign films, but, I just I've been so busy. That's what kept me from watching it for so long because I thought I was gonna have to do watch subtitles, and I I was just busy. I didn't have time to like sit and like read. You know, I had to like have it on in the background while I was doing something else. So I hadn't sat down to watch it yet, and um, I'm glad I finally did. But um, but yeah, it's 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 great that they took the legend and they didn't completely transplant it to America and like change the rules like they did with Krampus. They like left it in its homeland and like gave it that power and I, I love that part of it as well so the setting uh, was just awesome the, the great music like it's it's these are these are like on the christmas year rating i guess i just was having a blast and the the, the moose scene was very relatable to me as someone who, <laughs> i was gonna ask about that. <laughs> yeah definitely better than the moose that moose situation before so I did. I, I did like that. There seemed to be some some stock moose footage there at one point, like where they're please clearly not anywhere near them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, yeah, maybe even CGI. But I, yeah. I there's um, I don't know. I I really enjoyed it. I thought I could have gone way further, and I would have just enjoyed it even more. I think, um, plot wise, story wise, you know, horror and gore wise, it could have gone further for me. But I enjoyed what was there, and I was I was very happy the entire time I was watching it. Like, I was enjoying myself the whole time I watched it. Victor, how about you? Yeah. Um, there's something in the barn. Well, yeah, Martin Starr. Uh, well, I've been a fan of his ever since Freaks and Geeks, which you mentioned. Mm. Uh, <laughs> then he he played um, a character called Gilfoyle on Silicon Valley. Not a horror mm. show. It's a, mm. a comedy. But... Um, a lot of people have compared me physically <laughs> to, <laughs> to, 
to Martin Starr's character on 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 Silicon Valley. Like my my old roommate was like, "Have you seen the show Silicon Valley?" And uh, I'm like, "Yeah," and, and it, I didn't really see the connection. But he's like, "Well, maybe some of the characteristics." And he's like, "Some." Oh, you're him. <laughs> I like it when people get that adamant about something. Yeah. No, it's you. No, him. he's me. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was really. Um... You're a little more handsome. I'm going to give you handsome credit. <laughs> yes, yeah. You're the, you're, the, you're the better looking of the two. Thank you, sir. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, um, I, uh, I I did find it very uh, charming that his character is also named Bill in this movie. And he's playing the character exactly like adult mm. Bill from Freaks and Geeks. I'm sure he, that was the direction. Um, and I, I really thought of that. I like, took a step back from the movie and I was like, okay, like copyright wise, how far can they go? And <laughs> I guess there's no way you can call your character the same name as, as an older character that that actor played. As long as there's no reference to the other show, then there's no copyright infringement. So I thought that was really clever. And, Especially uh, if you're in Norway, who knows what they're like. Right. <laughs> it's true. It's a, was, the Wild West. <laughs> I was yeah. watching the movie like, man, this soundtrack must be a fortune. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it, it, sometimes it feels like they changed like one note so it's not exactly the song. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? It's yeah. like Muzak. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, as far as the movie itself, yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys have said so far. Um, it was a little too light. For me, uh, and uh, since I don't have kids, I really was just looking at it from a, is this movie going to entertain me or not? I thought the Norwegians were a little more entertaining than the American family, but mm-hmm. um, with the exception of Martin Starr, who is always good, <laughs> I think. But uh, You would yeah. think that. <laughs> I, I may be a little biased, but <laughs> always I, handsome. Always, I think he's a promising actor. I think he has a, a large future. Um, we need more actors that look like him. But, um, you should sign him to your talent agency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be confusing, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah, work for you, you work for me. <laughs> there's something in the barn, cool title. Um, and, uh, yeah, I seem to recall. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that uh, TV show Vikings. Um, yes. But there's a really Ooh. funny line somewhere in the later seasons where the uh, Lagertha meets someone from another country and she's like, oh, we don't have elves in our country. And Lagertha says, of course you do, but they're very small. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, Victor, to your point, I think the... Um the native characters in this, this film are great. I think they're quirky. I think it's almost, it's not quite like a, a twin peaks level, but you got the guy who loves to play (laughs) Christmas on or loves to play Santa on Christmas Eve. And you've got the, the museum um, curator and uh, the sheriff as well is uh, a lot of fun whenever she's on screen. So I, I had a lot of fun with this too. Um, I agree with both of what you're, what you guys have said, the tone is all over the place. It reminded me kind of like to an extreme of like uh, a Gamera movie where there's all this violence <laughs> going on, but it seems like it's made for children. Mm. Um, <laughs> so it definitely fits in that mold. But yeah, this this movie, it was it was just a lot of fun. It was like a lighter version of Gremlins. It's not quite up to that standard, but um, this was probably one of the films during 
you know, where I'm cramming in films here at the end of the year, one of the ones I had the most fun with. Did you guys think that um, the curator character looked like Jason Blum? That's all I was thinking about the whole time. Like, <laughs> I didn't I think, think of it. Now it, I do. But, um, <laughs> he does look like him a little bit. Yeah. I, I can totally envision that. And his speech, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the Norway did uh, <laughs> Jason Blum. Dude. Right. Uh, but I, I liked the movie too. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think it was the most pure Christmas fun of the new slate of movies we're talking about tonight. And the one Mm. I enjoyed the most because of that, because on that level of what it was trying to be, I think it did everything it was setting out to do and just about no more, but that was good enough for a nice, like, this is a great one. You make some cocoa and maybe put some, you know, maker's mark in it and just just (laughs) out of chill, but it's, it's fun. Wolfman, you're right about the where it's the middle ground. Like, who is this for exactly? And it does seem like it's for kids. But then the daughter starts dropping a few f bombs, and then uh, and then you've got the violence, which escalates greatly to where the last yeah. third of the movie <laughs> had me thinking of like Army of Darkness, but but more violent, like a little bit. Yeah, it's so like the, goofy, yeah, it's the, so goofy in places. The elves like sieging the the house, and I think Victor, you pointed out, they're like knocking over ladders, like it's the two towers, <laughs> like it's just, yeah, it's it's like <laughs> epic but dumb at the same time. But like, in a, it knows what it's trying to do in those moments, and those moments are some of the most fun. Those moments are like kind of what make the movie, you know, after watching the kind of kind of fun but light. Uh, prelude to all of it so mm-hmm. when you get to those sequences and I'm watching them and I'm like you know what not too much language not too much gore I'll just let it rip yeah. <laughs> watch it with the family better to uh, you know ask forgiveness than beg permission so. yes let me ask you guys this we you talked about you know killer Santa is overdone there aren't too many movies with killer elves there's the um, that Christmas anthology movie has got the a great little elf sequence in it Elves, there's the Elf on the Shelf, two movies that are terrible well, from Uncorked. Are those movie. horror movies? I mean, supposedly. Oh my, I didn't know they made Elf on the Shelf horror movies, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Jay of the Dead reviewed those, and that's how we ended up stumbling upon the 1987 Elves. <laughs> we were looking for <laughs> more of those. But um, yeah, they're, they're two Uncorked to me. There's one called The Elf, and then I think the second one is The Elf 2 or Elves. I don't know. Don't watch them. They're Awful, just completely <laughs> dog crap, one star right. movies. But, but I, what I guess what I was going to ask you guys is, do you think is this the best horror elf movie? Is this the? I, I mean, I I think so to my to my recollection. I mean, I'm I'm all for as long as we don't have like you know horror version of the elves and the shoemaker or something. I'm all for elf <laughs> horror films, but I. I I think it is. I mean, I'm trying to think of anything else that's better. What than was it. the little guy in Cat's Eye? Was he a troll? Uh, yeah, I don't. He had the little, he had the little boots and the jangly like hat and the knife. But yeah, so if he's a troll, then yeah, maybe this is the best one. There was a pretty (laughs) decent uh, Netflix series called Elves that had the Mm -hmm. same tone of this movie, and the elves were fearsome, but they were also a natural force, if you will. So it it wasn't Mm -hmm. the elves are evil just like the elves here aren't necessarily evil they've just been in you know uh encumbered with the humans and now they want to do something about it so that series mm-hmm. is maybe a little bit closer to something that kids could watch it is it is foreign and so if you turn it on netflix you'll get that like 
horrible dub that Netflix does for these movies. But you also have the uh, subtitled version. And it's about four or five episodes, I think. Watching this, my daughter immediately was like, hey, Dad, this reminds me of Elves, which, again, is on Netflix. And it's it's, uh, mild horror, like, adventure. But it definitely has... The the Elves definitely do eat and attack people. So. Hmm. Cool. I, I think we we talked we mentioned rare exports. I think that may have elves in it, if memory yes. serves. Right. Yes. Yeah. They, they, yeah. They're in a. I don't want to say too much where people haven't seen the movie because that is almost a spoiler kind of. A Those story. are scary elves. Yeah. They're, they're, they're scary. scary. They're and um, yeah. And, and the, uh, the Christmas horror story elves are pretty scary too. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about the the ones in yeah. that segment. It's more like the changeling sort of uh, myth. Um, so yeah. Are the are the the things in that movie, the the Hallow, are they elves? Remember that? Mm, good question. Because those were those some, some kind scary, of fairy. Yeah, I, they, know. They, I know they were like the Fey or the Dunashi, but I don't know if those mm. are considered elves or not. Now I'm getting into the weeds of no, I love the folklore, but that's awesome. Uh, yeah, there. I we could always do with more. You know, I uh, I'm sure some elves have showed up in uh, Del Toro's movies, and those are always creepy. Mm. Um, he did. He did a. He did a nice job with the tooth fairies. I think in Hellboy, and then don't be afraid <laughs> of the dark. Those little things yeah. that oh, yeah. eat calcium. Uh, th- those were pretty cool. So hmm, now I'm like trying to think about elf elves, and uh, we need more elf movies. Good elf movies. Um, I don't know if this is worth saying, but I guess I'm going to tell you the two to avoid. This would be the Elf 2016 was the one I was referring to, the Uncorked Media, and then there's a sequel of sorts, Elves 2018. Those are awful, awful, awful. Not to be watched. <laughs> yeah, oh, those are Elf on the Shelf. Okay. Um, movies. Seven is terrible, but a must watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is a must watch just to see. Uh, was it Dan Haggerty fighting these yes. these elves that are people in like the shabbiest costumes you've ever seen? And the backstory so, of where they come from is insane. <laughs> yes. So if not the Hollow, is it the Hollow or the Hollow? Which one? The Hollow. Um, the Hollow. Hollow is a different movie, I think. Yeah. So the if not for the hollow, then I would say this is my favorite. Uh, yeah. Oh, there's a really good one, and I can't believe we didn't discuss this. That came out this year. I think they qualify as elves. Do you think so, Trey? The the red caps. Oh, of course. Unwelcome yeah. came out right around St. Patrick's Day, and the thing that prevented me from loving this movie, I think, was that I kept thinking about Unwelcome, which is almost the same sort of plot. Uh, but it's got, it's, it's good. I liked it quite a bit. And that involves a family moving to kind of rural Ireland and then encountering, uh, they're trying to fix up the house. They've just moved from a, 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 an invasion situation that happened when they were living in the city and the wife is pregnant. And so they're very much already on edge. And then they meet this family who comes in to fix up the house and they turn out to be, uh, more threatening than you'd expect. And Cole Meany plays like the head of that gang and the creepiest line was he keeps saying he tells everyone just call me daddy like to everybody <laughs> that's that's a warning sign that's what we call a warning sign and uh but then the the previous owner it's a similar situation they inherit the house from a relative who we've seen observing certain rituals you need to leave red meat out next to the uh the this little door in the wall and you have to observe these certain things and when you get to the last third of that movie 
there's a lot of interesting stuff coming on. The elves or the red caps and gnomes, whatever they are, they're much more fearsome. They're more Jim Henson-y. Um, mm. They give you definitely give you like an 80s vibe. And there's mm. some, it, it, it's almost like, that one's like straw dogs meets gremlins. <laughs> and I highly recommend it, uh, Wolfman. I can't believe I didn't think about it while we were talking about this. Great call. I, I, have I haven't not, seen that one. But, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that either. But the way you describe the movie, it sounds a lot like a novel I read by Adam Neville, the guy that, that did the ritual. Um, but this oh, novel, yeah, it's called Cunning Folk. And, I wonder uh, if it's yeah. related. It, this it, is not take, this is not giving credit to the novel if it is related. Oh, okay. Well, I, I recommend the novel. I thought it was quite good, as is most of the things Adam Neville writes. Um, and it's just about a couple in England that move to the country, and they do a fixer-upper, and then they got these uh, neighbors that are a little suspicious. <laughs> oh, it sounds very similar. And I see people, I don't think it is based off of it, but I see people mentioning saying, oh, I watched Unwelcome and it reminded me of uh, the book you're talking about. So uh, Cunning yeah, Folk. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a good one. Um, Unwelcome, that is. And it has a wonderful final scene. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. that one kind of goes the places you want to go. It's unquestionably a movie for adults. Uh, awesome, that one yeah. is. Um, and some beautiful awesome. images, too, yeah, as well. Yeah. I'm in. You sold me. Yeah. There, there's. Yeah. there's I remember, uh, and this isn't spoilery, but there's just a shot of this Irish guy. He's coming home from the pub, an older guy with his dog, and he's singing some song oh. about, you know, uh, some great Irish hero. And in the background, you just see the little uh, crumbling remnants of the castles and the small shadows of these little things leaping along. But it's so subtle that you don't see it at first. So stuff like that, I always love that kind of thing. And I highly re- I, I recommend something in the barn. I recommend Unwelcome even more. Awesome. So I, I'm glad you sent us down that rabbit trail <laughs> of, <laughs> of Wolfman. Cause, cause the other night I did mention unwelcome and here I'd forgotten. So how about our uh, ratings on this one? For me, this is a, it's is a solid seven for me. Yep. Same here. Uh, it's 7.5 for me. Um, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm going to go 6.5, but I, I really loved it. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So something in the barn you can, I'd recommend a rental on it. Um, you, it can be purchased. Uh, I'm sure it'll probably show up on streaming somewhere soon, but uh, of the I've re- I've, so I've rented it accidentally twice because I didn't watch it the first time on Amazon. And I will say for the, you know, two four ninety nine rentals, I wish I'd just purchased it. That's true. I don't think this one's that much, right? Was it like, Twenty dollars, or sometimes it's like fifteen dollars. It, it was like fourteen ninety nine. Yeah, for, at fourteen ninety nine, I think it's worth the the uh, the go ahead and buy it. Um, unless you're someone if who you're, was, if you're going to pay if you're going to pay to rent it anyway. Yeah, or, if you're going to pay to rent it and you're not a, like, like I did. <laughs> yeah, I'm a physical media person, though I probably wouldn't buy this since I already purchased it. But if you're if you're not, it's definitely one that you probably would watch, and then it's a great one to show other people. I think at the holiday, so. Um, and I didn't mention this, but I really enjoyed, even though it's very simple, I like the way they visualize the barn elves. Like the makeup and everything is mm-hmm. silly and fun, but it does work. Yeah. So, um, and I and and tonally for me, this is much more of a comedy than like when I went back and watched Rare Exports. I realized Rare Exports is a serious horror movie about a completely ridiculous idea. Right. Whereas. Yeah. 
This the is whimsical for the last two minutes. <laughs> yes, yeah, especially especially for the last two minutes. Then then it does very German comedy. The original shorts that that movie was based off of dealt yeah. solely with those last two minutes. Was like the gimmick. But, yes. Um, the this one tonally almost felt more like a Werewolves Within. Although I liked that movie better. Mm-hmm. It has that kind yeah. of like you said, Trey, almost like on the on the verge of a twin peaks with these quirky characters. And I just particularly in this one wanted so much more of those quirky characters. I wanted to see, I want to see that guy dressed like Santa fighting the, <laughs> fighting the barn elves or something, you know, I wanted a little bit more, but yeah. Um, okay. So what else do we have to talk about? Is, is this where we talk about the leech wolf man? <laughs> Yeah, that would be exciting. For sure. <laughs> I'll let you. Do you want to kick this one off? Sure, I'll I'll do my best. Um, hadn't prepared anything, but this is a film that's directed by Eric Pennykoff. It's called The Leech, and it stars Jeremy Gardner um, in the film as well as Graham Skipper. So those are two. Fun names for people who like low-budget indie horror. Um, in this film, a devout priest, played by Graham Skipper, welcomes a struggling couple into his house at Christmas time. What begins as a simple act of kindness quickly becomes the ultimate test of faith when the sanctity of his home is jeopardized. Hated the title, and I think the reason I didn't wasn't really on my radar until you mentioned it, Nath, is like it was just I didn't. I didn't register as a Christmas movie in my mind. I thought, okay, this is a this is a monster of the week, you know, movie that I'll get to eventually. Um, That's exactly what I thought too, and it looked on very low budget. And then I was like, oh wait, it's a Christmas movie and not about what I thought it was about. Yeah, and then Jeremy Gardner, and I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a chance, <clears throat> and I and I really had a good time with it. it I will say, you know, it's. It's not going to be for everyone, and I think anyone who has seen a Jeremy Gardner or a Graham Skipper film probably <laughs> knows you know, that knows. already. <laughs> yeah, in the Joe Bagos kind of yeah. school mm-hmm. of filmmaking. Um, but uh, yeah, this I would say is even more low key than any of those films. I'm trying to think of another one of those. Maybe Bliss is kind of like yeah. what was the Gardner movie with the monster that would come out at night and he was waiting for his girlfriend to come back. Yeah, with with um with Jeremy. Yes, yeah, with Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Gardner. That was called uh After Midnight. After Midnight. Now I think that's a better movie, but that it was low key too. That was for a long yeah. time. And that's probably more yeah, that's that's more the speed than say something like Spring or something that you know Jeremy Gardner's been in. Um yeah, After Midnight is definitely kind of in this side. But I mean basically it's such a simple concept. And you have this title of the leech hanging over your head. So it's like the obvious question is like, which of these guys is the leech? And you, you know, and so you're assuming it's going to kind of flip on its head. The obvious, the more obvious reading of these characters and lead you down the other path, you know, and I don't know, like, I guess I just wish it wasn't titled that. So that wasn't quite as on my mind the whole time. They also set up really early on, like, it's important to serve others at this Yuletide season because it may be Jesus come back in disguise and we need to serve everyone as though that's the case. And so 
there was definitely a part of me when they showed some of those shots with Jeremy Gardner with his long curly hair standing in front of those <laughs> Jesus paintings. I was like, are they really going to go there? Is that what this is, this is going? Um, you don't and, really know exactly where it's going for a long time. It's weird. I mean, I would even suggest at the end, until the last one minute, I didn't really know, like, where is this movie going? It's, yes. I, my biggest problem with it is the last 20 minutes are just pretty sloppy and as happens with a lot of low budget horror, just let's just make it harder to see, and then we don't have to like worry about the story too much. <laughs> you know, it's like really dark, not quite sure what's happening. There's a lot of crazy screaming and obnoxious audio and quick cuts, and then it's like, okay, I guess that's an ending. But um, but uh, but otherwise, I really enjoy this type of indie filmmaking. I love both of their performances. I like some some of the. Uh, some of the themes it was exploring one of our listeners, Greg bench um, wrote in his review that he was really bothered by how blasphemous it was. And that was interesting to me because it just didn't occurred to me, I guess. And so I thought that's, that's an interesting thing as we talk about the use of Christmas and horror together, you know, are we like, is the crossing of that line of blasphemy a taboo, um, that's important to this kind of subgenre of horror, you know, or is at least used as a tool in the subgenre of horror. But I liked it generally, but I would say it was the ending was a bit of a letdown for sure. Yeah, it's going some really weird places, and it's almost you're wondering the whole time could it even sustain any yes. kind of satisfying ending? Uh, it probably could have. I agree with something you said too about like. As the movie goes along, and in an effort to suggest or hint at the the mental state of at least one of the characters, the movie does attempt to sort of become very stylized in an in a chaotic way, and not in a very like sharp or interesting way. And I think right. that takes away from what almost feels like a stage play, right? For mm-hmm. for a lot of this grimy and kind of gross, but. I saw Greg's uh, review as well, and I the blasphemy thing sort of caught me as well because I I it, this this movie does get into some weird stuff, and if you are and and the Graham Skipper character is portrayed as someone who uh is a is a like a real believer, right? Like at least mm-hmm. in his mind, he he be, he's sincere. He's not like a straw man oh. hypocrite, at least in the opening of the film, right? This isn't a a pastor who's fleecing his flock or doesn't believe right. what he says. He seems to, but then the movie is an, uh, of course setting up that we are suspicious of Jeremy uh, Gardner and his, uh, his wife, his girlfriend who, you know, they, they keep kind of changing the story a little bit, but those characters are clearly the ones that we're supposed to be suspicious of. And then as the movie goes forward, we aren't quite sure if we can completely, if he's that reliable of a, of a central character, a central figure. Right. And, so we get these themes that would be Christian themes of selfless love, of serving others, of uh, desiring to see this world be better, the questions of a savior, what's the purpose of a savior. And those things are are built into the story. I don't think the theme, those themes are treated blasphemous, but rather the Graham Skipper's character is so, there's so many facets to him that the things he indulges in are not the things a priest would normally, <laughs> you right. would want a priest to indulge in. Let me say it that way. And 
But I, good for them for humanizing him and making him a real person with, you know, he's he's a three-dimensional human being. Yes. And, and he's chosen this life of being a priest following maybe, you know, a life that maybe is less wholesome as far as we are, you know, given some... Right. And that, and that to me is where the interest is. Is it the tension yeah. between what this man says and then what's going on? And... Where the movie, I think where the where the movie ultimately goes, it kind of works for me. Is I I know, and uh, people have said over the years, it's like Nathan. Sometimes you're a little morbid. Until I found the horror community, then they didn't say that anymore. But before <laughs> that, it's like you you always think about the morbid things. It's Christmas, you know, you're there at the mall, but you're thinking about what about the lonely person who dies in their house and no one finds them for eight days, or that guy that like hangs them. You know, like these things happen. There are dark <laughs> edges to Christmas. That's kind of what this movie is. It's like, what about the people that aren't having a, a, a happy Christmas? What about the people on the fringes who we don't think anything about and we are content not to think about at a time when it's supposed to be warm and fuzzy? And he feels like one of those people. Yeah, I think if you're going to go down the blasphemy road, there are way more interesting ideas to explore with you know, we have the idea of this virgin birth that happens right in, in the scriptures. And so like there, there's fertile ground <laughs> uh, <laughs> to explore that idea um, here. And I, I don't know. I thought that, I thought that could have been interesting as well. You know, they, they toy with this idea of old Testament, which is maybe more appealing to these characters who are rough around the edges that as opposed to this new Testament, which the priest is. Yeah. It's actually surprising to find a horror film that's willing to have like real conversations about that stuff, which is why I think I responded to it at all in terms of, Oh, this is interesting. I do agree. It doesn't completely come together. I mean, I think there could have been, there's just a lot of opportunity for it to go even further. I suppose with that for me, I would have liked to see that. I feel like it gets a little bit hung up. on. Yeah. This isn't first reformed. (laughs) Right, exactly. But I, but I, I don't know. I I enjoyed it as well. Yeah. I, I, it was it was interesting for. I thought I thought you would like find things that are interesting, and I know you're a Jeremy Gardner fan, so that's why I mentioned it. And it does it does get kind of wild for people who just who want the Bah Humbug Christmas movie, who want to see a twisted Christmas movie. This is that. Uh, I can also see how people who maybe are a devout and watch this would walk away with a bad taste in their mouth because. The movie isn't always completely clear about spelling out what it what it means or what it says, but it throws a lot of stuff at you. And I've I've never seen a a priest, you know, uh, burn a bunch of uh, sex toys in the fire, you know, as part of a, <laughs> part of a Christmas sermon. But uh, I have now. <laughs> it goes some grimy places, and it's definitely like Jeremy Gardner's character, as he often is, is just intentionally to, yeah. intentionally annoying and loud, and just like it's a. It, that's why I mentioned the movie Bliss as well as the kind of like artistic yeah. ending. It's just like it's it's a little bit of an atta- assault on the senses at times, hmm. but um, it's Christmassy. Then it is Christmas. thematically and visually. I'd say the most offensive thing to me in the movie is a joke about heroin. I mean, not jo- uh, a cocaine related joke. I would say it's probably the most <laughs> offensive thing in the movie, but. Hmm. Uh, that was yeah. weird. That that and the scenes really that weird. the the dreamy scenes that followed it were very strange. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's a that's definitely for your uh, your your people that want who you you're looking for the weird Christmas movie and you don't think the rest are weird enough. I think yeah. this gets kind of close. This will get there. Yeah. Cool. Rating on this uh, Wolfman. 
I'm going to call it a five out of 10. I, you know, I thought it was interesting. It's not one I like highly recommend to people. I think what you just said, if you're looking for a, a weird Christmas movie, you've seen everything else. This would be one to check out. If you're a fan of either of these guys, Graham Skipper or Jeremy Gardner, um, you'll probably enjoy yourself. Um, but it's not definitely not for everyone. Yeah. I, the experience of watching it was really interesting. Was was almost more interesting. Than some of the other movies I've seen, but it doesn't quite come together. It's a 6.5 for me. And, definitely like what you just said this is this is definitely sort of a little bit more rarefied so if you if you like to see weird deranged things then you like some character development with your weird deranged things then check out the leech <laughs> very nice okay do we have any other um movies we want to mention i know we have a couple of uh mini reviews coming up here in a moment but um while we have uh Wolfman with us. Anything? Uh, we I think there were a few movies that we saw that probably don't necessarily need more than a few minutes of mentioning. But anything well, else big? You were mentioning your werewolf uh, Christmas, and I was it got me thinking about. I, I don't know that either of them are spe- explicitly Christmas, but you mentioned both of them tonight: uh, Werewolves Within and The Wolf of Snow Hollow. I really like both of those movies, and they're fun. Yeah, they're watches. like they're perfect. Uh, I think holiday fair, even though, as you said, they aren't explicitly Christmas, but man, werewolves within almost feels like it is. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I, and I think uh, Wolf of Snow holidays too. And then you recommended, um, I don't know if you recommended, but you, you made me aware of a movie called werewolf Santa. I baited you is what I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to check it out and get it in before the podcast. And I unfortunately didn't make it all the way through, so I won't rate it, but I'm not going to call it a recommend. That's for dang sure. Um, the way you really got me was you said Joe Bob Briggs is in it. And I thought, what? Okay, I better see what's going on here. And I, again, I've only seen the first third of the movie, but Joe Bob Briggs is used in voiceover reading Twas the Night Before Christmas storybook. <laughs> um, and so we're seeing, we're seeing hand-drawn images of a Twas the Night Before Christmas storybook with I would say a pretty bad recording of Joe Bob reading it. Mm. Um, Do you think they and, scored it at like uh, at a horror convention and paid him like yeah. fifty bucks for it? Yeah, they're like, "Will you come to our hotel room and record this?" Um, <laughs> and it sounds, you know, he's reading it kind of fast, and they they use his image a lot. So I hope they paid him for use of his image because they drew him into Twas the Night Before Christmas. They drew him. Oh, gosh. Yeah. and it really has, as again, having only seen the first third, it has zero to do with. The rest of the movie. What the movie is about is a British woman who, to me, looked like she was in her forties, but then runs into her mother later, and I realized I'm supposed she's supposed to be like in her twenties or something. So, her and her mom, the, the cast, you know, I was like they look the same age to me, but I don't know. I'm maybe not the best. I'm not the best at seeing age differences in women, but like really, that's her mom. I thought it was like her friend or something, but <laughs> she's a monster hunter. And so we're at the beginning of the movie, she goes to look for Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and she's unsuccessful. And then we have some really bad graphics, just some of the worst on-screen graphics you'll ever see. And then the Joe Bob Briggs uh, storybook. And then we get into a legend that happened in her hometown. So she's just kind of hard on her luck. So she and her boyfriend, who's her cameraman, go back to her hometown to search out these werewolves that lived in caves along the seaside in her hometown in England. And that's where 
the majority of the rest of the film takes place and we meet her parents and some drunken Santas who get attacked by werewolves. And it's weird because they're, they're making a YouTube show They're You know, they have a YouTube channel based on monster hunting. And every time a werewolf tr- turns up, they shut the camera off. <laughs> like, what <is> <laughs> oh. Why did you shut the camera off when the werewolf came? That's what your whole show is, is a monster hunting show. It's like, you think you'd be prepared for a monster showing up. You know, we should have a like, backup plan in case a monster is on camera. Like, keep a GoPro running, anything. But no, it's, uh, it's some cutaways. But um, yeah, uh, not one I would highly recommend from the little I saw of it. So thanks, Nathan. But I did pay for the rental, so I will finish watching. <laughs> I didn't mean for it to go that far. <laughs> and did did anyone else have any that they they saw that they like to mention? I know Trey. I think you had a couple, I, didn't you? Um, I just saw that one called "A Creature Was Stirring." Um, that was really my other oh, one. Yeah. A really good Christmas vibe, good Christmas atmosphere. Yeah. Um, I didn't really care for the uh, the story, the way they unfolded it. I felt like they kind of got heavy handed at points and then they kind of tried to jam things in with this twist ending. And um, I wasn't a fan of that. It was a really cool idea. I liked the idea of the creature they had in it. Unfortunately, the execution was a little off um, and the effects weren't great either. So uh, for me, that's probably going to be an avoid. I'd come in with like a 4.5 out of 10 on that one. But good Christmas vibes. <laughs> I've been hearing a lot about that one. I'm interested. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, and, it, and you might like. I think I've seen people that have liked it better than I have. Um, so you might like it, um, but I, it just didn't. It didn't feel right for me. How was the acting on this one, Trey? Because this one is like Scout Taylor Compton and the um, the lead, the lady playing the mother. Um, I can't think of her name right now, but I think it's, yeah, she's from This Is Us. Yeah, um, on NBC. Uh, it's, it's fine. Um, I don't know if it's their acting or if it's the script, but there's, I mean, it's solid. It's uh, serviceable for sure. Um, I don't think it's anything great, but yeah. I was curious, um, when we were talking about the leech, I was wondering if it was going to go in the direction of the pilgrim did you guys see that the end of the dark oh yes yeah yeah yeah. like the thanksgiving related one yeah Yeah. and then that got me thinking about uh what your guys thoughts were on thanksgiving and and i don't don't know if we have time to just briefly talk about it but i would just say setting wise again like i would say that's better than all the movies we talked about in terms of giving me that kind of holiday setting that felt right for the movie and then to that film although it doesn't get as skeezy as the grindhouse trailer i was hoping for it, it like it's it's this it's a successful straight ahead slasher film that i thought is gonna be like a yearly watch type of film for me yeah the setting's great the setting's perfect um i think they nailed that the holiday feel of it yeah I, yeah i i loved thanksgiving i i really i mean the the trailer was a huge bright spot in my life for a while. And <laughs> I, I knew that they were not going to make that. I, I knew that they weren't going to have those exact scenes the way they were in the trailer in the movie. <laughs> right. As soon as I saw that it was going to be rated R, I'm like, well, you know, they've got to, <laughs> they've got to brighten it up a little bit. Um, but what, what Roth did with it, I really enjoyed. And um, I, I think that the character development was way better than I expected. And um there are some things you see in it that 
don't make the most sense, uh, but they're totally excusable because you want to go along for the ride and it's worth the ride. Like it's, it's just a, a really fun movie with some pretty over the top gore, even if it doesn't quite measure up to the trailer um, for Grindhouse. But, uh, but yeah, I, I recommend it. And um, it's definitely done a little tongue in cheek or a lot tongue in cheek, but I think um, it's funny. I was, I was, I watched in the theater and I was next to a couple of, uh, of kids. Like, and you know, by the way, you know, I'm 55. So everyone under 30 looks like a kid. <laughs> um, but they were, you know, like early twenties, I think. And um, they really, I, I was sort of laughing at it uh, or with it, I should say. Um, but uh, in, in the style that I think Roth intended, but they, the, the girls next to me really treated it like a genuine horror movie. Going, oh no, don't do that, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, so I, that was another level, an extra level of enjoyment for me was like, oh, you know, this not only appeals to old timers like me, but it, it's also <laughs> roping in the young people as a pure slasher, you know, so well done. Yeah. And Wolfman, if I remember right, uh, you're a fan of those kind of late 90s slashers, right? Because I feel like that had that perfect vibe of those with Thanksgiving. Big time. Yeah. I would yeah. say it's in that. I, I know you did last summer kind of. I mean, it definitely, I would, I mean, Eli Roth doesn't admit it in the interviews I've heard, but it seems heavily influenced by, I know he did last summer in terms of just the structure of the film. Yeah. But, like several of those sort of, uh, post scream <laughs> slashers. Like I know what you did last summer, my personal favorite urban legend. <laughs> and, no. uh, which I know is not great, but the, the tone and the vibe Valentine, like yeah. there's all of that sort of mixed in. And when I saw the trailers earlier this year, when they had the first trailer, I looked at the trailer and I said to my buddy who's next to me, I'm like, well, that the people thinking they're finally going to get the Grindhouse movie, that's not that. Like, that's <laughs> that yeah. vibe is 90s, like, slasher, at least the trailer itself was. And then I actually appreciated that, that it was like 90s slasher, because while there were there were part pieces of junk in the 90s, I enjoyed a lot of those movies, too. And yeah. With the 80s gore, you know, the gore amplified to something more like the 80s. Not not as gritty grindhouse. I'll be honest, uh, I like some of Eli Roth's stuff, but I'm not the biggest fan. He falls into me a category of people. Eli Roth is one of them, actually, so is Rob Zombie, where I love to hear them talk about horror more than I like to watch the movies they made. Yeah. Um and that, that translation between the passion and enthusiasm for what they've watched and what they're trying to do really lined up for me on this one, though. Like, I mm -hmm. thought he did a great job of making a movie that worked as an actual slasher. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I really felt like this movie, more than some recent ones, they really let those chase scenes breathe a little bit. Like, they went mm -hmm. on, like, the oven scene mm -hmm. isn't just a gag. Like, that's a full-blown battle for survival that happens there yeah. and it goes on long enough that we feel even if it's a person that we don't entirely love as a as a character we feel for their self-preservation you know it goes on long enough that we just want to see them escape because this is so horrible you know what's about to happen and i thought he brought that in fact i'm actually happier that he made this movie where he had to think about characters and motivation and the tone and even that setup with the black friday like the the prior evil in this one is so crazy like 
that scene's almost as nutty as anything else that happens in the movie. But I think that in some ways he amplified the uneasiness or even the like the tension by choosing not to go over the top grindhouse. Like there were things in that trailer, like I don't need to see the guy with the turkey head, you know, uh, with, the, with the turkey with the head. Right. We don't need to yeah. see those sorts of scenes in this movie because I think they would have instantly taken you out of any sense of tension. Uh, the trampoline scene's a good example. People were like, oh, I wanted to see. You got that joke already. Like that frat level joke was in the trailer and it defused. <laughs> Watching what happens to the person in this movie was far more wince inducing for me because it continued to happen in front of my eyes yeah. and there was no joke to diffuse it. I just watched that happen to somebody. Yeah, and I think, I think that made it a I think much. You would have got a pretty crazy howl in the audience. Though. I would have, I would have liked to see that. It, well, yeah, but, but again, I think that like that, we all kind of got that. Like, I, I think that the trailer is its own piece of art in a sense, yeah. and then the movie is is different. And I, as I a slasher, thought it was one of the more enjoyable. Uh, the only exception I would say that we're recently that in my mind was better was um, X, but. Uh, which is kind of yes. unconventional, but as conventional slashers, I enjoyed this more than the last two Scream movies. Well, no, it's, I think again in this time of these like you know freaky and Happy Death Day and all these types of you know fo- like I don't know kind of like horror light movies, I guess to me they, they, this felt like a real slasher as opposed to the training wheels that, horror. That's kind of what they yeah are. yeah, and this felt like just a straight ahead slasher. You know, I, I don't know, I appreciated that. Um, also, I, I'm, I'm kind of out of the loop on the horror discussion since I stopped podcasting, so I don't know what people are saying about it, but the, it's crazy that it's still in theaters at the time of this recording and going strong in theaters. Like It's mm-hmm. wild, actually, that a Thanksgiving movie is doing that well to me, and um, and a slasher at that. So I think this is going to be end up being one of the more profitable horror movies in the in recent years was it just yeah. today or a few days ago i think eli roth announced that he's the sequel's greenlit and on the way yeah yeah so. and i think it wolfman answer your question i think when i looked it had made like 40 some million at the box office so not a bad day yeah it's gonna be it's which gonna is solid for that kind of a movie that didn't you know so it's not gonna <clears> open <throat> as big and you know i mean at this point patrick dempsey's not opening movies uh, yeah. right um guys i I'm traveling for the holidays, and I did not bring my ch- laptop charger with me, so I went and bought a new one today, and it's, I just noticed it's not working, so my laptop might die any minute now. I apologize um, for that. I didn't... Let's go ahead, and we want to get your uh, – we can do like a close for you, Wolfman. Does that sound good? Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry about no, that. No, no, it, it's no worries. Um, I'm so glad you were able to join us. It's been a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, so – there's, I think, a lot of great stuff out there to see, and there are fun ones in the in the new slate. And if you, in a few moments, you'll hear a few more reviews that we have of uh, so, some of the movies that we saw. And otherwise, I think we'll go ahead. Uh, we'll wrap this up. Uh, we'll let everyone uh, do their outros, and then I Trey has a very special message for everyone related to our next set of episodes. So uh, let's go around the horn then. Uh, Wolfman, let everyone know where they can find you, what's going on with you. And again, thank you so much for coming on. It was so great to uh, podcast with you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. This is uh, definitely, I love this podcast and I'm so happy that you guys have continued it. It's one of the great pleasures of my life. And um, I'm just focusing more on my filmmaking career right now. 
Um, I'm working on a lot of docu-television um, and some films, and um, people can follow that a little bit if you want. I'm on Instagram is really the only social media I use. It's at alkaiviti, which is terrible if you're trying to tell people words that I've never heard before. But alkai is my what I go by. It's my middle name, actually. It's A-U-K-A-I-V-I-T-I at, uh, on Instagram. And it is that on Twitter and uh, Facebook as well, but I just don't use those. So um, you won't find me on there probably. So um, the show that I work on, First Alaskans, uh, season three debuted December 5th, and um, new episodes come out every Tuesday. So if you want to check that out on National Geographic Channel or um, the first two seasons are currently on Disney Plus and Hulu and Amazon if you want to catch up, but. I, I just direct occasionally on that show. Um, there are like four different directors per episode, so I've directed 13 episodes over the last three seasons, so it's just kind of scattered here and there. But I think they're worth watching if you're interested in indigenous cultures. It's one of the only shows that exists. Um, it's the only show right now currently on TV with an all-indigenous cast, so really proud of that. <clears throat> um, nice. Yeah, so catch up with me. I'd love to, and I'm on Letterboxd as well, actually. You can... What talk to movies there? I, I look at all of your scores every time I log into a movie. I <laughs> get through and see what Nathan and Trey and everyone has logged. It's a lot of so, pressure. You, you got to be careful with me because my fat fingers mash things. So I'm always like going back and like <laughs> you'll see it go from a three and a half to a three. Uh, like I saw the leech. I'm like, what did I do that? <laughs> <Take> that. <laughs> but I appreciate all of you. Thank you guys so much. You're, you were always some of my favorite listeners. You guys were so engaged and it's such an honor that you're carrying on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much uh, for joining us and uh, have a happy holiday, a Merry Christmas. Uh, Trey, how about you? Yeah, you can find me at the usual places, my solo cast uh, screaming through the ages and um, yeah, over on Twitter and Instagram at screaming ages. And you can find me around the uh, horror movie podcast, social media as well. Cool. And Victor, how about you? Very cool. And yeah, I just wanted to mention if uh, anybody out there disagrees with my opinions on these movies, I am not afraid to defend my <laughs> ratings. Uh, and uh, if you uh, if you just have a different take on on one of these movies, I'd love to hear it because I just love talking about horror movies. So uh, yeah, easiest way to get in touch with me is uh, at Dime Store Caesar uh, on Twitter or Instagram. And um, yeah, I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you in the internet. All right, and that'll kind of conclude our episode with Wolfman. It was great to have him back. I also wanted to do a quick addendum here. We did a small sort of passing review of Thanksgiving on this episode with Wolfman. I wanted to circle back because we didn't actually grab ratings for those, uh, but we all did have ratings, so I'll share those very quickly. I checked back with everyone to make sure. So the ratings for Thanksgiving 2023, Eli Roth's Thanksgiving, are uh, Wolfman gave it an 8. I gave it an 8 as well. Victor gave it an 8.5. And Trey comes in with the highest rating with a 9 out of 10. So really good showing for that movie uh, all across the board for Thanksgiving. I think all of us were see it in the theater and buy it if possible. So there you go. We did have an opportunity to... Uh, the three of us see one more movie, The Sacrifice Game, that's streaming on Shudder. So 
Now you're going to hear a review of that and a quick capsule review I have of The Night of the Missing. And then we will close out the episode with a special message about what's going to happen for the best movies of the year episode. Uh, we're doing something very similar, but slightly different this year, uh, just in the sense that we are splitting that into two episodes, one that will have our lists earlier, and then one that will have the fans' lists. And we will discuss that at the end of the episode. Trey's going to give you more information. Before we get to any of that, though, what would an episode of Horror Movie Podcast 2.0 be without a Bill Van Vegel Terror on Tubi review? And Bill really dug deep into the Christmas trash heap this year to find a movie that's very title is mystifying to me, but I'm not going to spoil any of it. I'm just going to turn it right over here to Bill Van Vagel, To Be Terror. Welcome to To Be Terrors, where the movies are never what you might expect. I'm your host, Bill Van Vagel, from Land of the Creeps and other podcasts. And in the last few movies that I've reviewed, and actually since I've started, I've tried to get movies of some quality. Movies that I haven't seen before, but look interesting to the listeners, look interesting to me as a viewer, and look interesting to promote or talk about for everyone to know about. But oftentimes, I go in blind. I know nothing than maybe a brief description or a movie poster or something that somebody's told me, and I go in with a fresh outlook, trying to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of everything all over Tubi. And oftentimes, I enjoy... Other times I'm titillated, other times I'm scared. They're always an interesting review. Well, with our Christmas edition here, we're going to take one that I knew nothing about. And one of the beauties of Tubi is you type in an adjective or a descriptive word of some sort, and you just kind of see what movie gets reproduced out in the search bar. And so I typed in Christmas Horror. And that gave me, actually, to be honest, a lot of Hallmark-type films, which I'm surprised by. No, that would be true terror, but I'm not going to do a Hallmark or a Lifetime-style Christmas story. Now, there are some movies that came up that I have seen before. There are some that were very well-known. And then there are the others. And that's the beauty of Tubi. What are the others? Today, we are doing something called... 2022's Christmas Craft Fair Massacre. Just let that title sink into you. Christmas Craft Fair Massacre. I could not pass that by. I had to review it. I had to let everybody know what I thought of this. The poster has a skeleton with some Christmas lights in the eyes. And it looks like it's got a Santa hat on. It's demonic. It looks like there's some snow coming down. And all that is just from the poster. I think this is like the Roger Corman-style film where you do the poster and then you create the film. Well, let's get into this film, shall we? The description on IMDb is this. A holiday craft fair is ground zero for a coven of Satan worshippers who stalk and kidnap a group of locals in their attempt to create a satanic nativity with occult spells and grisly slayings. Now, I know something's up when in the description they spell grisly G-R-I-S-L-Y. 
<laughs> they spelled Grizzly wrong in the description. And so, uh-oh. Now, the other telltale uh-oh is it's only one hour, 11 minutes, which actually was about the maximum you could watch of this film. Oh, did I give something away? But it didn't tax your time. And it actually made it to the point where if you needed to fast forward a couple of minutes here and there, that was completely acceptable. Oops, did I give something away again? And so it was the other telltale sign was it was produced by Wild Eye Productions. Wild Eye Productions is like uncorked and, you know, one of those lower end production companies where, you know, the budget is going to be on a very tight shoestring where people provide their own wardrobes and makeup that's homemade, that sort of thing. Oh boy. All right. But you know what? I go in with an open mind. I want to see what it's about. I've seen some real gems that were so bad they're good or so bad they're bad or they actually were good. Where does this fall? Well, let me describe. Well, the director, I, I like to go over the cast a bit. So the director is somebody called Max Raven. More red flags go up because it was the only film to his credit and the only other credit to his acting or directing curriculum vitae is he was in one episode of the TV show Arliss back in 1996. So that one about the sports agent with Robert Waugh, which actually wasn't a bad show at all. But we are talking about, oh, 29 years ago. And so what he's done in between, who knows? The other telltale sign is after about four or five actors, I stopped looking them up because none of them had been in anything other than Christmas Craft Fair Massacre, except for one actor called Glenn Coburn, who was in such films as Bloodsuckers from Outer Space and Bloody Scum. Wow. I know you're intrigued. You want to hear more. So it opens with a guy kidnapped and had his head cut off by an axe by a masked man, and the room is covered in tarpaulin, skulls, and candles. And you get to see some blood that's basically made with corn syrup and food dye. But we do get a decapitation. So there is the hint of more terror and gore to come. Cheap gore, but there is some gore to come. You cut away to older friends who are about to vend at a Christmas craft fair at a local high school that happens to be built on a native burial ground, or so they say. One of the people who's going to be a vendor is also a psychic who has worked with the police to help solve crimes. So she's got a little bit of intuition. You know, she's one of these elderly ladies who likes to work for the good. And we'll see if she comes through in this one. I have to say, the acting is terrible. They look like they are reading their lines in the distance or below them on a table just away from the camera's view. <laughs> to say that they're as wooden as Pinocchio would be to insult Pinocchio. This is low-grade acting at its amateurish best. But again, I always hope that there'll be something that redeems this film. And so many of the actors in this film also happen to be seniors. It's almost like they did the cattle call down at the seniors acting group and said, who wants to be in a film? We can't pay you, but we'll give you some lunch and some cookies and you will be happy to have your name in the marquee. Oh, the marquee. <laughs> As an IMDb credit. 
Okay. So as it turns out, the principal of the high school where this craft fair is going to take place is in cahoots with the local Satanists. And he plans to use the visitors of the fair to capture their souls for their own satanic nativity. He's looking to be the right-hand man of Satan. And by collecting these souls and killing them off, that gets him that much closer. And of course, with him being in a place of honor, being a principal, he is above suspicion, or so we think. Now, the killer who's doing all the decapitations has a white face mask and a big flowing Fabio hair. I'm not quite sure if it's blonde or if it's gray. The lighting isn't the best, but it's flowing. And he takes orders from the school principal who's in charge of the fair. And he's looking, as I said, to be Satan's right-hand man. The way I equate this is he's obviously dressed to look a little bit like Michael Myers, but this is Michael Myers in the clearance section of Wish <laughs> or Timu or something like that. <laughs> you got to see this guy. He's got the, you know, the uh, apparatus with him. He's got the outfit with him, but he ain't Michael Myers. The, uh, there's also a lot of the actors, the dialogue, they're talking a lot into their cell phone. I think that's so they don't have to memorize the lines and talk face to face. So they would be exposing their limitations as actors so that their lines are below them on the table or somebody holding them in front of them. You can visibly see their eyes looking towards something else, but they are passing the story along. They have so much time spending on the cell phones that it almost is distracting. And you also notice that it doesn't really look like the cell phone is on that they're talking into the function that uses the telephone function. It's just kind of, you see the background of the phone and it's just the icons and, you know, that kind of thing. I doubt somehow that they even know how to use the cell phone. It's probably from their kids. So as the story goes along, more people are getting killed, uh, decapitated by this custodian. The, the killer is a custodian, <clears throat> sorry, is a custodian at the local high school. Maybe that's a little riff off Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy. And... Every once in a while, you'd get someone decapitated. Every once in a while, there'd be cheap blood flown in the air. Now, I always try to find some positives. There was a decent score for the budget, and I'm surmising that it was probably used from royalty-free music found on YouTube or one of the various sites. But for this D-grade budget, the score was all right. After the wannabewish.com, Michael Myers walks around the neighborhood for some reason, with upbeat music, and he delivers these dollar store gift bags on people's front verandas. And as people open them up, they see decapitated heads. And as one woman does, she faints. And you're like, what is going on? Now, it takes about 55 minutes before we finally get to the actual craft fair going on. Now, the other amusing part is during the film, to show the scenes of people getting ready and the craft fair setting up, it's pretty obvious that it's set uh, pictures and film of a local mall. Yet, the craft fair takes place at a high school. It could be a budgetary thing. It could be the, an oversight. Either way, the editor needs a new job. The high school where it takes place at their nickname are the carnivores. Ho, 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 ho. 
And they keep cutting away to a mall. Yep, this is set in a high school. You, you, you just got to take it all in. This is low budget on low budgets. One of the, now here's another funny thing. One of the vendors is able to shine, a la uh, in the famous movie with Jack Nicholson. And he's able to telekinetically speak to a local priest who's going to try to intervene to stop the Satanists from taking the souls of more people. There's more beheadings that happen. There's some thrash metal music. Everybody, it becomes hilarious, involved in the penultimate ending of this, seem to be able to communicate telekinetically. There had been no talk or allusion to that up until the last 20 minutes or so. Someone is taken who's there attending the fair, assumably getting Christmas gifts. She was tied up. And she's ready to be sacrificed. And I'm not going to give away the ending. We got to have some dramatic pause. We got to keep you hooked. We want to make you to watch this film. Or do we? That's really up to you. If you are a fan of low budget films, not even B grade films, like Z grade films. Sorry, Americans. It's Z. Anyways, this is the low of the low of the low amateurish. Would I recommend it? Depends how much a sadomasochistic person you are. If you have time to kill and you really want to be a completist with any kind of Christmas horror, I say go for it. The best character in this film is an unseen radio DJ from the local Houston radio station KILL where they're killing it on the radio. <laughs> it's, it is something to behold. Now, on the other plus side is it's only 70 minutes. So it's not going to kill your time. And don't tell anybody, but you can fast forward a few scenes and you won't miss much. Anyways, I gave this 1 out of 10. Now, this might be among my lower bottom five or six films I have seen personally. And I have seen many, many a film. Now, does that mean you shouldn't see it? I will never recommend anybody not see a film. Watch it, pay attention, make your own opinion, see what you think, if it's one of your worst trash films of all time, or maybe it's a hidden gem you like. I have films that people, other people think is just absolute trash, and I quite enjoy. So get out there, watch the movie, see what you think, and then I will be here with more films next time. Enjoy, have fun, and get to the local craft fair. You never know who you're going to see. And, Victor, do you want to share the movie that you're going to set up tonight? Oh, sure. Yeah, 2023 movie, and it's called The Sacrifice Game. And um, this is, it starts out with two storylines. Uh, one storyline is about uh, two girls at a boarding school uh, who are left behind in the holiday break. Um, and they're sort of being chaperoned or uh, looked looked over by one of their teachers. And, um, uh, and they're kind of bummed, or at least the, the main character we know is kind of bummed for, uh, for having to stick around. Uh, because she's got family problems. 
Then the second storyline is about a thrill kill cult who uh, have a murder spree going on where they are taking bits of human skin with arcane sigils written upon them uh, and um, putting them together for some sort of ritual. And they end up showing up at the doorstep of the boarding school. And I think you pretty much know what's in store for the, um, the unlucky girls, but yeah, that's, that's the premise. Um, there's a pretty good twist in this movie, uh, that, uh, differentiates it from other films that this sounds kind of like. Uh, so I do think there's a good reason for it to exist, uh, for this movie to exist. Like it's not just a retread of what's been done in the past. Good performances for the most part. Um, and, uh, it, it does have uh, some parts that I was very critical of, but uh, it's, it's a quick, quick watch and uh, it's pretty exciting. But yeah, I think that's the, that's the premise. Uh, did you guys both see this? I yes. did, yes. Uh, Trey, what, what, how did you like it? Great premise, great ideas, execution a little lacking. Um, I think it started out really good. That murder cult stuff that you're mentioning, Victor, great. Really draws you in. You also can kind of get behind. I mean, we've seen it a lot, but the kids stuck over break at the kind of boarding school or whatever type of private school it is. And I think we can all connect with that as well, like that feeling of how lonely and everything that would be. So I think we have a great combination for a horror film here. And I loved the first. I mean, it was a brutal when it needed to be. Um, you got some good character moments as well along the way. I think the first, you know, half of this movie, maybe two thirds is really good. And then they get to a point where I think the idea and the premise of where they wanted to go was really cool. I think one, it drug on a little too long and in that section, at least not the movie as a whole. Um, and then two, they didn't necessarily execute on it. How I wish they would have. Um, I don't think they hit the right notes. They should have there when they had it set up. It's kind of like what Nathan was saying with it's a wonderful knife. You've got it right there. Um, now, I will say I like this one a little bit better than that one, but um, you've kind of got it right there and you it's it's not a swing and a miss, but it's a swing and you kind of, you know, you don't hit the ball very far. So uh, those are my initial thoughts on the sacrifice game. That makes sense. Um, what about you, Nathan? How did you like it? You know, I, I did enjoy this one. I liked it uh, a bit more than It's a Wonderful Knife. I do think that it, it it falls into that area of starting so strong. This opening gives you the vibes of like Ty West House of the Devil. I don't know if you guys felt that. I oh, felt totally. it was pretty yep. in, intentional. Yep. And uh, But this opening scene where there is a home invasion, that scene's crazy. <laughs> okay. Like it feels very Christmas. It's, it's probably like the most Christmassy scene in the movie. And then it goes to hell almost literally, you know, immediately. And then boom, you get that title. And I don't know about either of you. 
I didn't know much about this movie. I didn't watch the trailer. I knew it had come on Shutter, and we were planning to watch it. It has a great title. And when that opening happened, I sat up and was like paying attention. You know, I'm like, okay, here it comes. This is gonna be, this is gonna be that Christmas horror that's gonna go like all the way. And all the things that you guys said are true. It's very well made. I think it is, like you said, for the most part, well acted. There are some odd decisions to linger on certain characters that have not been well developed and are not necessarily played by the strongest actors. And so sometimes there are odd choices there, I think, in just what the film decides to put emphasis on. And yeah. it's a weird complaint, I guess, to say that it that the 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 writers here or the directors have almost made this too well balanced in terms of how they view the characters. There's time spent making sure every person is a person, if you know what I mean. Like that they feel like they've got stakes to them, even when they're clearly, you know, completely crazy and unrepentant. But they give them, they recognize that even evil people can be scared or afraid or jealous or angry. And uh, the same way with the heroes that, the, the people who want to save themselves from a situation are not always going to be virtuous and uh, going to be there for their friends and things like that. But what's weird about that kind of very uh, even-handed approach is for me it killed the tension by by the second act when we do get a pretty cool twist. That twist does change the nature of the film in such a way that there's no one I'm really afraid of anymore. And there are not too many people that I'm that sympathetic towards. And so the movie just sort of plays out and I'm not uh, reacting to it the way I was in the early chapters. It's a finely made movie, but the tension just sort of uh, ebbed right out of the second half. I don't know if you guys felt that that was an issue or not. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that. Yeah, that's true. And I think this there's, I don't think it's giving anything away to say that the cult aspect is building towards a sort of supernatural element. And when that element, it, it it just isn't explored enough that by the time you get to the last frame, I thought this is where this movie, this feels like the logical conclusion. There's some cool things that happen, but some, this material, I think this is what's happening this year. This material, most horror material that people are tackling in films it's so familiar. I think they're doing that on purpose. They want a shorthand. They want people to jump in and know certain things and feel certain things and that they can skip to the chase. But I look at a movie like House of the Devil. House of the Devil builds almost unbearable suspense out of almost nothing yes. for about an hour of time. And it's not a very long movie, right? Uh, this movie should have been able to do the same thing, and it doesn't quite get there. That being said... I did enjoy watching it, but I enjoyed it almost at the level of like a an episode of Supernatural or something. Like it, it felt like a road that we've traveled many times before, but it wasn't unpleasant to travel it again. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, well, let's uh, let's cough up our ratings for this. <laughs> uh, well, how about one, one last question? How about the Christmas aspect? Cause I, uh, the idea of being stuck at the boarding school over a holiday, I thought handled much better in a movie this year called the holdovers. And outside oh, yeah. of that opening scene, and there's a Christmas tree in there. 
uh, Christmas vibe didn't really contribute a lot to this movie for me in terms of like no. thematically or anything else. No, we've got gifts. We've got, I think there, if I remember right, there's snow on the ground and there's some definitely the Christmas aspects, but I don't think it's really as Christmassy as it's a wonderful knife. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. They don't nail it, but, um, but yeah, the elements are there. I just think maybe a little more production design may have been. Yeah. Uh, they also miss a subversive aspect of it's called the sacrifice game. It's about people trying to sort of bring about a, uh, a supernatural uh, insurgence of, of, of a kind, right? A supernatural ascension. And yeah. so it's odd in some ways that the movie doesn't, even if blasphemously so, sort of play the the anti-Christmas angle, you know what I mean? Or the angle of Christmas as this time of rebirth or of spiritual awakening in a darker way. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yep. Um, I can go first on this one. Um, as far as ratings and recommendations, I like this one uh, better than It's a Wonderful Knife. I feel like it was so close. Um, just like we talked about, It's a Wonderful Knife. There are elements there. If you change a few things around, I think you can get there. And unfortunately, 2023, with horror at least, has been the year of that where we just come up short or we don't know quite how to end a movie. And um, that did play a part here. I really liked a lot of the stuff in this movie. I liked the... Um, the mythology that they try to set up, like you said, Nathan, maybe we need a little bit more into that. Maybe we need the ending reworked and better, but I still think it's very enjoyable. Um, definitely worth a stream, especially on shutter. And I would give the sacrifice game a seven out of 10. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Nathan, what did you think? I am just a little bit under that at a 6.5. I think it is solid. I would I, I think that some people are going to like it more than I did. Uh, and I, again, it's sort of down to the tension had started to build. And it, this is the kind of film that is designed, I think, to be a pressure cooker. And it has the opportunity to uh, keep changing your perspective. It, it sets up, again, like a film like A House of the Devil or a movie like The Invitation. And it's so even handed and it's so telegraphed with its twists that it just didn't give me that same level of suspense. It may not be fair to compare the film to those movies, but I was left with a, Hey, that was pretty decent as opposed to a desire to, Hey, I, you know, I need to see this again and, and, and see what was missed or hidden from me. It, I didn't feel any of that. Yep. That's fair as well. Um, and I would say, I mean, it did I, 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 for everybody listening. I'm, if you're not aware, I have a, an, ADHD eye condition where my, if, if I, if I'm not riveted by what I'm watching, I lose interest very quickly, um, more, more quickly than most. And, um, it did manage to hold my attention for the entire movie. So I thought it was definitely worth a rental, um, because it, if it satisfied me, it's probably going to satisfy mm -hmm. those listening. Um, and, um, I just, uh, yeah, I felt like they, they missed the mark on a couple of things or it's, it just, it lacks a sort of over the top thing to make it really cool. Um, but, um, it has a lot of solid elements, but in any case, uh, the upshot is uh, 6.5 from me. Uh, and, um, yeah, I would definitely, it was directed by Jen Wexler. I would definitely watch the next thing she directs. Absolutely. And, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yep. yeah. It's and worth seeing. I recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I recommend, uh, yeah, I think I said, uh, recommend streaming or rental and um, you won't be disappointed. So uh, that's, uh, those are the new, the new Christmas movies. There's a couple others. I did see one on Screenbox uh, that I was intending to do a full review, but it's called The Night of the Missing. And uh, it's in a horror, uh, Christmas horror anthology. Uh, very disappointed by it. it watched it and uh, took two, two tries to get through it. Uh, what I found is it's very low budget, and that's not, I'm not holding that against the film. But the individual stories feel very much like, I guess you guys are both familiar with like creepypasta, right? And yeah. just yes. little yeah. online stories that are intended to, they're written at a very certain level. They have a very specific formula. They're meant to be creepy, but be slightly plausible. It feels like this uh, Night of the Missing is aiming for that. This woman goes into a police station and she is reporting uh, a missing person, but she's also mentioning many other missing persons that happen to be up on that board. And as you might expect, as she starts to tell the uh, the female officer taking her statement, she tells this person about the stories that relate to those faces up on the board. But these stories don't have any Christmas vibe to them, really, except for a like a uh, not particularly engaging rendition of a Christmas song that plays over the last five or ten minutes of this. Except for a line of Christmas lights that's, that you see in the background behind this woman at the station. This movie has no Christmas ambiance whatsoever. Oh. I didn't love Christmas, Bloody Christmas from last year, the um, the Joe Bagos movie, but that movie was like drenched and soaking in Christmas ambiance. Gritty, mm-hmm. gross Christmas ambiance. But nonetheless, <laughs> I, I could sit and look at that movie and like that's Christmas to me. And uh, this one, it, it, it's so haphazard. And then the stories aren't interesting. And there's this weird thing where the, the, the work that's done in the movie is completely competent to a level, but doesn't feel like it was made by people. This could almost be like if you told an AI to make me a Christmas horrors movie made out of creepy pastas, I could see this being the result. <laughs> and hmm. it's hard. I can't recommend it. There, in fact, I had nothing to say about it except it ultimately provided me with the mo- one of the most tension filled moments I've had watching a horror film in years. Uh, unfortunately, it has very little to do with the film itself. But my, I fell asleep watching this the first time through. My wife was in the room, but I wouldn't say she was watching the film, she was grading some papers or working on something. And uh, I fell asleep. She was glancing up. She was hearing the movie more than she's seeing it. So I fall asleep. The next thing I know, I'm hearing someone screaming, Nathan, make it stop. Make it stop. They're going to get shot in the mouth. Make it stop. And so I jump to attention, ready to possibly fight an intruder, only to find out that I've got the remote. She's on the other side of the room, and she just wants me to turn this movie off because (laughs) something that she thinks is going to be bad is about to happen. And the the movie couldn't even... Uh, satisfy her fears and do, oh, no. do, do something that that was actually transgressive. Like that, I turned it off, and when I turned it back out, I'm like, "Oh, you just missed more of nothing." Uh, but um, I can't recommend it. It's on Screenbox. I do. I wish the best for every everyone who was involved in making the movie. I think it had. They really need to focus in on making these stories worthwhile because we're watching 
stories go on for many, many minutes. And sometimes we are five or six minutes in and we still don't know what the character is doing, what's happening to the character. And not in a good, like the mystery slowly being revealed way in a, in a way where by the time we find our footing, the story is hitting. It's like one note, uh, you know, punchline. And then we're back out and I don't know what, what, what's happened. And so it's very disorienting. It goes back to something you said, Trey, about one of the other movies uh, about, I guess, a creature was stirring that I constantly felt like I needed to rewind it because I was missing actual chunks of the film. Yeah. And I can't, uh, I'm not going to give it a full review because I, well, I did go back and finish it. I didn't watch it in the sitting. It felt very disjointed to me. Uh, but this, this would probably be, I, I don't, I, I'm hesitant to say anything is in a void now. Uh, but I will say that I would recommend skipping, uh, Unless you have screen box trial and you want to see it and you're really into horror anthologies, Night of the Missing is not really worth your time. Particularly, uh, it's a waste of your time if you're looking for a Christmas-themed horror film. And I want to circle back really quick because I think you mentioned it and we mentioned it for all the other films. But A Creature with Stirring does have some pretty good uh, Christmas atmosphere. I will say that down to the point of where it's using a, a classic Christmas song throughout the movie. Now, again, that song is used to tie into its asinine ending. But um, well, anyway, you said asinine ending. So I, my fingers are crossed that it's Dominique the Talking Donkey is the Christmas <laughs> question. It's not. No, so it's not not that kind of ass. Okay. No puns here. No, yeah, all right. but too bad. Well, well, there you have it. Maybe maybe not a smashing success in terms of films, but I, you know, I think a couple of these are worth seeing. I definitely would say see something in the barn and um, the sacrifice game. I think they're worthwhile. The other movies, unfortunately, to me, were disappointments. And uh, there, there, there's better things to do with your time than <laughs> watch disappointing movies. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, so any... Um, I do want to wish everybody very happy holiday and i hope that everyone has an opportunity to spend it with the people they care about and just uh, have some relaxation and some maybe some time off work uh, and just some good times with uh with your fellow people uh and you, know, you get to see some good movies um anything else that anyone here wants to mention in terms of christmas horror or anything related before we uh before we close this down yeah, I just wanted to say, uh, I mean, this year, 2023, has been remarkably difficult for me because I got through a divorce and I really appreciate, uh, and, you know, I think the holidays bringing this even more to light, uh, being able to record with you guys uh, being this close to the holidays because I'm uh, I'm kind of kind of stranded here and uh, I'm not I'm not sad, but <laughs> but. It, it has been a really tough time, and uh, I, I think you guys and, in general, the horror, horror community have been very a very bright spot in my life this year. So thank you, and happy Christmas, or uh, Yom Tov if you're celebrating Hanukkah. I mean, it's really, uh, it's, that's really been great. So yeah, thanks for for being friends and it's awesome recording with you guys and I can't wait to do it again soon. 
Yeah, man. Thank you, Victor. And I concur. It's been a crazy year. There's been a lot of things I didn't see uh, coming, having two kids and, and just stuff happening all the time. But this has been a real highlight, just being able to hang out with you guys, talk horror movies, to be on horror movie podcasts that I listened to for years and be able to do this. It's really fun. I think that we are all committed to uh, producing even more horror movie podcasts in the new year, really getting on a on uh, a kick and on a roll with getting these out to you regularly. Uh, again, I think that there, as we move into the best of the year, we'll talk a little bit more about the year in horror, but I think the year in the community, the past few years, it's just been phenomenal. It's always, uh, people are awesome. It's fun to see. Uh, I've seen so many good movies, uh, whether they be new or not new uh, from the recommendations of people in the groups and things like that. And so, I uh, I hope that you're able to find some uh, some holiday frights that that fit fit your bill. I definitely want to point out that as we mentioned the ghost stories for Christmas uh, earlier, you get your hands on a book of M.R. James ghost stories or Oliver Onions or one of those, uh, you can't go wrong. There's some good stuff there. Very different kind of horror than I think what we're used to in modern terms, but but really good nonetheless. Much more kind of. Um, uh, literature-based horror, but but well worth uh, checking out. Yeah, so any... Um, I do want to wish everybody a very happy holiday, and I hope that everyone has an opportunity to spend it with the people they care about and just uh, have some relaxation and some maybe some time off work uh, and just some good times with, uh, with your fellow people. Uh, and you, know, you get to see some good movies. Um, anything else that anyone here wants to mention in terms of Christmas horror or anything related before we, uh, before we close this down? Yeah. I just wanted to say, uh, I mean, this year, 2023 has been remarkably difficult for me because I got through a divorce and I really appreciate, uh, and you know, I think the holidays bringing this even more to light, uh, being able to record with you guys uh, being this close to the holidays because I'm uh, I'm kind of kind of stranded here and uh, I'm not I'm not sad but <laughs> but it, it has been a really tough time and uh, I I think you guys and in general the horror horror community have been very a very bright spot in my life this year so thank you and happy Christmas or. Uh, Yom Tov, if you're celebrating Hanukkah, I mean, it's really, uh, it's, that's really been great. So yeah, thanks for, for being friends and it's awesome recording with you guys and I can't wait to do it again soon. Yeah, man. Thank you, Victor. And I concur. It's been a crazy year. There's been a lot of things I didn't see, uh, coming, having two kids and, and just stuff happening all the time, but this has been a real highlight just being able to hang out you guys talk horror movies to be on horror movie podcasts that I listened to for years and be able to do this. It's really fun. I think that we are all committed to uh, producing even more horror movie podcasts in the new year, really getting on a, on a, a kick and on a roll with getting these out to you regularly. Uh, again, I think that there, as we move into the best of the year, we'll talk a little bit more about the year in horror but I think a year in the community, the past few years, it's just been phenomenal. It's always, uh, people are awesome. It's fun to see. Uh, I've seen so many good movies, uh, whether they be new or not new. 
uh, from the recommendations of people in the groups and things like that. And so I, uh, I hope that you're able to find some, uh, some holiday frights that, that fit, fit your bill. I definitely want to point out that as we mentioned, the ghost stories for Christmas, uh, earlier, you get your hands on a book of MR James ghost stories or Oliver onions or one of those, uh, you can't go wrong. There's some good stuff. there. very different kind of horror than I think what we're used to in modern terms, but, but really good nonetheless, a much more kind of, um, uh, literature based horror, but, but well worth, uh, checking out. Yeah. Just want to echo what you two have said. Um, it's been fun recording with you guys, Victor. I'm glad the, uh, the community has been picking you up and, uh, getting you through your tough time. And, yeah. uh, yeah, really look forward to recording with you guys again here, hopefully before the, the end of the year, hopefully this won't be our last time recording before the end of the year. Um, no, best but, of best of 2023. I can't yeah, wait. Yeah. It's going to be fun, but yeah, just uh happy holidays to everyone. And I hope you all uh, get to celebrate with loved ones. And if not, you know, uh, we're all here for you. Yeah. And that is going to bring the, to a close our Christmas 2023 horror movie podcast episode. Had a great time uh, recording it. One of my other favorite kinds of episodes that we've done on Phantom Galaxy, Trey, you've done on Screaming Through the Ages, uh, is the top 10, the best horror movies of the year. Mm -hmm. Uh, This has been a year full of horror movies. There's been movies all over the place every week. It feels like there's two or three coming out. So I'm really looking forward for the opportunity to kind of uh, sit down with all of you and talk about this. And in, uh, in keeping with HMP tradition, we have always opened this up so that everyone can submit their top 10 lists. We can take a look at those lists and then we can kind of hear and, and, and try to give a clearer picture of what the, the listeners and what the fans uh, have seen and what they really appreciated or didn't appreciate in 2023. This year, in order to sort of uh, accommodate the timeline and, and, and get stuff out while it's still fresh, while still giving people time to make their lists and give their ideas think what we're going to do is split this up into two pieces so before the end of the year it's our intention to record our top tens and you'll hear from the three of us we're going to keep this very much centered on the top tens and then in the new year uh we're going to come back and give it which gives everyone a little more time to submit their top tens and have an episode that's really focused on what the listeners and what the community at large thinks about 2023 We'll be able to talk up maybe some of our honorable mentions or things we didn't like as much and have that more of a portrait of the movie year. Uh, and it'll be secondary to our top 10 lists. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Trey, who's going to give more information about how you can participate in this and get your list over to us. Yeah. So uh, about, you know, it was last week as we were recording this episode, I sent out and I'd put together a Google form in kind of HMP tradition And essentially, you just have to go to one of our social media accounts. If you don't have that, you know, shoot us an email um, at horrormoviecast at gmail.com and I can get you that link. But essentially, just put it out on both Twitter and and that is pinned on Twitter and is on the Facebook group as well. So if you go out there, there'll be a link that will take you to a Google form. You can enter in. And if you have say you have three movies that you really thought were good this year, you can put your top three. Um, really, you're only required to put a number one. So go through, fill out your 
you know, your top 10, uh, there's slots for five honorable mentions if you so choose. And we will tally those up. We've decided to push the deadline. I know I've told um, someone that the deadline was this Friday, this upcoming Friday, as we're recording the 22nd. But uh, as Nathan mentioned, we are going to break it up, give people a little bit of time so they're not cramming as much in. And maybe they can get a better list put together um, just by seeing more movies. So if you want to get that in sometime around January 1st, um, I think that'll be best. And we can get that all tallied up and we'll get everyone's uh, top 10 put together and see what the collective listener list looks like. Sounds good. Yeah, very cool. I'm really excited about that. And we do have a lot of cool stuff coming up in the new year. We have some episodes that uh, that have, that were completed in 2023, but we'll be releasing in the early part of 2024. And I think it's going to be a really good year uh, getting into the groove with HMP and getting in the groove recording with, uh, with uh, both you, uh, Trey, and Victor. And it's been fun so far. I'm looking forward to next year. Please get out there and uh, see some movies. Let us know what you think. And please also uh, participate in our our poll for the best movies of 2023 because we will be back to talk about that shortly. And we're going to uh, – we really do want to make the episode where we share the listeners' picks a really special one. We're going to have more information about that when we record our individual top tens, which we're hoping to get to you by the end of the year so that you have an opportunity to hear our thoughts and maybe to see a couple more movies before uh, we we share everyone's uh, thoughts and share everyone's lists. So please do that. Uh, we will post that on Facebook as well. So you can, if you uh, are uncertain about what you need to do, we'll have it uh, out there for you. And we'll, we'll do that on Twitter as well. Is there anything else that anybody wants to mention before we uh, we shut this down? No, no, I don't think so. Okay, so with that, everyone, have a happy, happy holiday. Have a great new year, and we will be back shortly with our best movies, best horror movies of 2023. Good night, everyone. Take care.